Alright, we're back, and uh, this week we are The Revolution Will Not Be Well Advised. Um, Quentin, how are you doing this week? I'm great. I've watched as little wrestling as possible, and I think that's uh, done. The, I, think that's, I, think, I think that's been the best possible outcome for my week, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call. That's a good call. Um, we have a special guest. Uh, big deal to me, personally. I thought about this... Uh, recently because a while back my wife was like oh you know i like my wife a lot right obviously um i, I, would, hope, I would hope so great lady uh she like asked me because you know she's doing the like trying to be nice thing like oh you know you listen to a lot of podcasts blah blah, blah. and like i don't know where the conversation ended up but i said like my favorite podcaster has to be brian quimby uh just because of everything he does so that's why i said it when i teased the you know the guest i said my favorite podcaster um just because of all the different things. But we got Brian Quimby, Murder Brian. And I got to ask Brian, how's the Legos going? Good, good. I worked on, I worked on, a, I was working on a set today. I'm almost done with my latest one. And I don't know what I got to, I got to go buy new ones. And I'm going to get yelled at this time for sure. Because the last time I spent $250 on them. So we'll see. We'll see what comes next. Yeah, I just, I know you, uh, you've recently mentioned that your uh, personal trainer always asks you how the legos are going so i figured hey i want to be uh, i want to be the cool jock guy like the personal trainer um yeah he's like how's those yeah. legos going man how you go you buy any new legos and i'm like uh <laughs> yeah uh, not this week but <laughs> like uh yeah yeah i'm working on a pretty big set so it's gonna uh, be a little bit that's good. That's good. You gotta, and, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love the guy that asks you the same question every time he sees you. Yeah, like, it's the thing it, he knows about me. It's either that, or he asks me a question about a podcast, <laughs> or something like that. Like where that, it's just that makes like, that makes sense. Legos and podcasts. Got it. That's yeah. all the small talk. That's all the small talk I need. It's just like, oh, how's the podcast going? He did tell me the other day. I told him, uh, I, hey, uh, you know, ask me how the podcast going. I'm or if I had to work on monday and i'm like yeah i gotta do one show that's just like fun like uh that i'm just doing for fun with a friend of mine and uh you know not making any money or anything like that and and he's like well maybe you could make money and give it to charity and i'm like no i'm literally doing it for fun so i don't <laughs> have are, to worry you, about making you, money like what are you saying yeah. to me right now that's like <laughs> yeah yeah i make that's enough like money yeah i make enough money doing the goddamn podcasts like i can do one that's just fun like like i used to do back in the day you know yeah well it's like okay no the normal podcast uh there's the pressure because i have to do it so that i can eat uh and then yeah i, I want to do one that's just for fun or wait actually here's a better idea how about we add more stress by making it that if you do bad on this one then poor children don't eat like yeah there's actually it's higher consequences yeah what, yeah, what if we stream and it just just nothing happens and yeah. we come back with like a fifty dollar pot and now I have to deal with the conscience of 
Yeah, How about exactly. these kids down too. <laughs> then that money comes out of my pocket because I won't, I won't send fifty dollars because I'd feel cheap, and the whole thing yeah. is just fucked up. I, I was so <laughs> like, I, trying to explain to this guy that sometimes I just do things that I don't make money off. Because when you live like the sort of life that I live, where I mean, you make a, you make a living doing podcasting. It's like you sometimes can feel like every single thing you do is everything is content. Yeah, and and and. You know, oh, I'm supposed to make money off of uh, uh, doing everything in my life. And it's like, you know, for several years, I was like, you know, the only vacations I took, I, I set up tour dates and, and shit like that. And I'm just I'm just like, I just want to do fun shit. And that's what doing the uh, um, doing the Jack Re the, the Reacher podcast that I'm doing with my buddy Chris uh, that that is just purely for fun it is not for anybody to listen to i mean it's for people to listen to but basically we're just like uh well if people listen to it that's great maybe we'll figure out how to do some other stuff with it but if they don't who cares it's fun to do yeah i uh, i heard the first episode and i enjoyed it for, even though i guess it's not technically an episode yet whatever but uh, but yeah that was it's a, a very was weird show there's three yeah. of them done or there's two of them yeah, yeah, we've got three episodes, and they just continually get weirder and weirder. I, I really like working with Chris, and Reacher nice. is like the best show ever to be on TV. Uh, awesome! Uh, I am not familiar with it. I'm I'm familiar really? with Jack Reacher. Obviously, I've heard the name in the movies, and it was funny. And you know, I was a you know a ding dong in my twenties or whatever when it came out. So obviously, we made plenty of jokes about you know Jack Reacher and that sounding like sex. Um, but that's all I. That's my Dude. only touchstone for it. Dude, if you're a wrestling fan, watch Reacher because it is right. just the biggest, hugest, most ripped guy uh, beating people up and killing them for an hour. Like, that is the <laughs> show. It's just this big, ripped guy being the smartest guy in the world and beating people up and killing them. It's great. It is such when did a this, great when show. Did the, when did this show, when did this show, like, when was it airing? It just came out, like, uh, last month at some oh, point. Okay, it's okay, on okay, Amazon okay. Prime. But uh, it is it's it's so fucking good and violent and uh, like I said, the guy that plays Jack Reacher is massive. Yeah, um, that uh, maybe I'll, I'll have to check it out. It's on Amazon Prime, so I will uh, you know find a way to watch it illegally uh, without paying for it. Obviously, um, <laughs> that is only me. I'm not saying that anybody else on this call does that. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know. So, the, do you realize the external crisis I was going to when I realized that the go-to torrent site was down for wrestling? Oh Jesus, I that was, was bad. Oh my fucking god, I was I had a crisis. I was like, are we gonna be able to do this fucking podcast? Because yeah. I'm at work yeah. while this pay per view is while this pay per view is happening. I'm at work. I'm not gonna be able to watch this show. <laughs> Brian, did you, me know, did you know about that? The XWT. Site yeah, yeah, yeah. Going yeah. out. Yeah, it pisses me off that like how bad bleacher report is because like i oh yeah i usually work sunday nights but and i'm pissed off that they're doing them on sundays it's like come on man you were like revolution was on like the worst possible situation for for me it's like everything i hated about wwe with the with the 6 hour pay-per-view that's on sunday it, like when people have to work on Monday, it's like, come on, guys! Like, I under, I it was a good pay per view, but it was five hours on a Sunday night until midnight, and everybody had to work the next day. The crowd, you could tell the crowd was like, "Fuck!" I, I mean, this thing's like not ending. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it was getting to that point. Luckily on the east Co- or on the west coast here, it's it's not as late for me. And uh, but yeah, I almost never watch them live for that very reason because it's yeah, I'd rather just download it illegally the next day and watch it at my own pace and fast forward through the matches that are kind of whatever. And uh, you can't rewind either or start it late that night because like one of the pay per views I ended up going to doing the call-in show and when it was over i'd paid for the pay-per-view when it was over i was going to lay down in my bed and just watch the whole thing when i finished podcasting but the replay wasn't up until the next day and then it just ended up being i paid 50 dollars and didn't watch the pay-per-view because once once it's been out for one day and that's it i i just it's yeah. way too fucking late for me right i get that um so we normally talk about some news and random uh, tidbits and that. I did have one news story that I wanted to talk about, really, especially with Brian. Um, and it's wrestling-related, I'll say. Um, and Quentin, obviously, if you have anything you want to talk about, feel free after this. But uh, the reason why is because a long time ago, Street Fight did a zine, and it was about uh, talking about prison abolition to wrestling fans. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It was, you know, a while ago. Um and the story that I want to talk about, because I've I heard people talking about, like, you know, this guy deserved to not get bail is Cain Velasquez and the situation that he had and if he was a danger and a threat. And I just wanted to think, like, Brian, how do you how do you like kind of square that circle? Like, so, like in a situation like Cain Velasquez and the crime that he did, like, how do you as someone who is a prison abolitionist, like, think about that kind of topic? I think he's like a lot different, though, because like. I mean, I, I don't think that it, it's a, like because I'm a lot smarter people than me are like uh, uh, prison abolition, like do the prison abolition. I just think that like, especially with Kane, there's that's a I mean, it's a problem, right? Like, who knows what that other guy did? You know, the rumors of what that other guy did is almost like. All you hear about is people saying, like, if that happened to my kid, I'd, I'd fucking kill him. So, like, we are steeped in this sort of violence, this this violent fantasy that exists in our culture around this thing constantly. And Cain Velasquez, not a smart guy, and uh, was very fucking reckless, you know? Uh, but, like, in a world... I think in a less punitive world, I don't know if this kind of stuff happens, you know, and I'm not like full on, like nobody should ever be put away. Obviously, you know, uh, dangerous people, you know, you kind of, kind of put them away. I I think for me, it's more of a rehabilitation situation. In, In my opinion, like, you know, I think we don't attempt to rehab people because we're just warehousing them in prisons. And uh, I'm not sure what I would do. I I do know that, like, we should work harder on, like, not thinking that there's pedophiles around every corner that you're going to have to murder at some point in your life. That would that would really help (laughs) with situations like this. Yeah, if, if like, uh, that's a, a side of it that I hadn't thought of, because basically I was coming at it having heard, like, a conversation of people saying, like, of course he shouldn't get any options for bail, no chance to release, and it's kind of like, I don't believe in that, I don't believe in bail in general, I think that there's a lot of, like, information that shows that basically, if you're forced to, you know, to, to put together your defense while you're behind bars, that you're a lot less likely to 
be found uh, innocent, which just something that simple it's it's is why like I can't trust the carceral system in general because it's like a statistic like that just shows like okay well the system's built to like put you in this place and then just keep you there um, and then there's nothing that you can do guilty or innocent no matter what um, so yeah but then when you talk about that like the societal side of things and the fact that yeah like people you know shout out to minion death cult i guess like on facebook constantly just dream about the idea that like this happens so that they are justified in having the most violent reaction possible to to get retribution and because of that people look at it that way and if they believed that there was proper i don't know proper channels that it would get dealt with but everyone thinks like oh pedophiles just get away with it unless you take the law into your own hands um otherwise they don't get proper punishment so that's why you have to deal with it that way um but yeah quentin do you have any thoughts uh i think it's like obviously in the kane case people are going to come to kane's defense because of the context which is rumored to be swirling it and like brian said i think people have this immediate reaction that if this was my family they would do i would do this this and that and then when someone actually does it it's like oh shit like someone actually like reacted this way to like this horrific thing happening to a close family member or relative or whatever or whatever it may be in general i'm for abolition you've talked to me enough tim like you know that like that's like my stance like on that in general but i think in like this particular case is super interesting because like this is pretty much someone acting out in the way in which society acts like these people should be punished right and that creates like this really interesting divide in you know they're gonna be think pieces around surrounding it and there's gonna be all this acted how us as society up is like macho machismo men honestly oh if someone did that i would fucking kill him yeah and then it actually someone actually acts acts it out and we're like, wait, well, oh, wait, hold on a second, guy. We should, we should, shouldn't do that. And now, Kane's being punished for something that, if you ask most people, he shouldn't be punished for. Um, I've read work about uh, uh, CSA, child sexual abuse, and about how like sending people to jail doesn't really help anyone in uh, who's dealing who's dealing with that kind of trauma, who's dealing with that kind of experience that they live with, that sending that person to jail and then wiping their hands clean of them doesn't solve anything, doesn't help them resolve the issues that they may be, they may be living with after that. So I was definitely not a lock the guy up case either. But now that Kane took it, it took it the direction he took it in, now the talk becomes about Kane and like not exactly how like the victim can process what was happening to them. And it's like creates all this stuff that ultimately like shouldn't be the issue but that that's what happens when a celebrity when it's a celebrity case i think right yeah and it's it is you know a big it is like you said he reacts the way that like you know they say that you're supposed to in the movies and media and stuff but it's also like this motherfucker lives that life like he's the heavyweight champion of the world in ufc he lives the life of the guy who gets drunk and says like yeah i would kick everybody's ass if i was in the ufc right i bet i'd have a shot at beating that guy's ass like he actually did that so what do you expect like his reaction is going to be the same thing like he 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 has that kind of i live my life that way (laughs) i think it speaks to what brian said about kane not being the brightest guy um yeah, but uh, we can move on from there and have some fun, huh? <laughs> Great, easy, light topic to start out with. Um, so I don't know if 
this video is available or if it's even online but so uh the three of us we all took a trip on up to the pacific northwest to check out our good friend parm's first wrestling show uh dust pro um and uh we we saw nicole savoy versus daniel makabe um and uh this was kind of a i'll say the <laughs> spiritual successor not really um in any way in the match but uh but at least for me uh to Daniel, to Nicole Savoy versus Timothy Thatcher, a match that me and you, Quentin, have heralded for a while. Um, luckily, that's also on on YouTube. You can check it out, and it's a really good match. Um, oh, that's and, oh, that's finally on YouTube now. Yeah, well, Parm, you know, aforementioned Parm, the runner of this oh, promotion, great. actually <laughs> uploaded it to his YouTube. Yeah, I know that's great, right? I searched it. I was looking for it because I was going to send it to. Um, let's say Dan Maccabe. <laughs> that's not even a code name. I was sending it to Dan Maccabe when I uh, knew that this match was happening and say, hey, check this out. Have you ever seen it? And uh, he was like, oh, I was searching for it when I did that and it used to be on that weird Vin- Vinmo account, but now yeah. I, I saw v- that it was on Vimeo? YouTube. Yeah. yeah, Vimeo, I think. Vimeo, yeah. Um, and uh, I think I was mixing it up with Vivu or whatever, that YouTube thing. Um, but either way. Uh, so I sent it to him and I saw that Parm had uploaded it. But yeah, I, uh, Quentin, what did you think? Uh, what did you think of this one? It was really good. Um, I think that they still have a better match in them. It was like a really good like first encounter kind of thing. It felt like a dream match. It felt special. It felt really big for this being our our buddy's uh, first show. They put together to get the, to get these two on a card. So I liked it. I liked the mat work. I liked uh, how they how they built how they built to everything. This is my first time seeing Dan this year. And oh. more and more, this is a uh, Dan starting to look more comfortable and uh, get. A, and he, he was looking great towards towards the end of twenty twenty one anyway. But it looked like him getting more and more comfortable and getting back in that groove that he was in in early twenty twenty and in twenty nineteen. So this was this was very very good, solid. But I know that they have a better match in them though. Like I wouldn't say this is anywhere near as good as say Daniel Makabe versus Nicole Matthews from the NEW oh, show. Yeah. But. No. Of course not. I think that I think that talent wise they can they can obviously get there and have a match that's just as good. It just depends on spot on the card if that's if that's what the goal is, everything like that. But I think they have the chemistry and the ability to go out there and have a better match. Oh, for sure. Uh, Brian, what did you think? Uh, what did you think of this one? I, coming at it probably a lot colder than us. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of indie wrestling over the past couple of years. Uh, so first of all, it was very jarring to watch an indie show <laughs> because yeah, I, this- I just. I spent a lot of time watching, like, uh, 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 you know, New Japan, where they did the hard cam only sort of setups without without commentary and stuff. And uh, uh, I feel like I missed a lot because I did watch it on my phone while I was working out. And, like, I feel like I couldn't really tell what was going on in, in the submission spots and stuff like that. But, I mean, it, it looked pretty good like it's hard <laughs> yeah. for me. i i don't want to like i it's weird because like no, no. i don't want to like criticize it because like you said it's it's somebody it's the first indie show somebody is putting on first of all and and secondly it's like if i can't see what's going on really then i don't i don't feel comfortable being like oh it wasn't stiff enough or anything like that but it sure. i mean there was stuff in there that some of the strikes I thought some of the strikes were really good, and uh, uh, I just wish I could have seen the submission holds, you know? I also really liked that uh, the referee kept confusing Nicole Savoy, which I I really (laughs) enjoyed, by saying, uh, do you want to give up? And she's like, yes. 
And then he's like, uh, so you want to give up? And she's like, stop asking me that. Which is like, yeah. the first time they get that wrong, you probably should ask it a different way, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's That was the takeaway for me. I'm with you that, like, yeah, obviously there's supposed to be a better version of this that will come out. I don't even know if this is supposed to be out. That's why I'm kind of, like, joking that we were there in the crowd. Because um, it's just a stationary hard cam, you know, like you were saying, basically the New Japan thing. You're not getting to see. In a match like this where you're getting some, some mat work, you want to have that roving cam so you can see a little bit closer to see the details. So we're missing that. But the takeaway was... These are two wrestlers. Dan Makabe, actually, I've never seen live, which is fucking a, a crime at this point, really. Um, you still haven't seen him live? Never. And probably never will, if I'm perfectly honest, but maybe. Maybe someday. Um, but Nicole Savoy, I've seen a ton, right? Here in Southern California. And the thing that I like forget or miss is just how good both of them are in a small room, even in front of like a crowd of people who are not uh, hardcore wrestling nerds, and just dealing with you know, saying shit back to the crowd, um, interacting with the referee, as as Brian pointed out, and just being lighthearted and fun while also still bringing it. Um, yeah, love the uh, the 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 uh, seatbelt, the leg seatbelt German that I have officially dubbed the Nader Bomb um, that Makabe refuses to accept, but I'm gonna push it and continue to push it to, for that to be the name of the move. Um, and so any match that has that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna be into. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to see the pro or whatever, you know, the final edit of this is going to be probably a lot better. But uh, yeah, Quentin, was there any other news or any other matches recently that you wanted to give a shout out or anything before we uh, move to the, the main event? Uh, I guess I you just, said you didn't watch much, right? No, no, I've, like I've caught up a, some, somewhat on uh, things that I, things that I might have like skipped by me. Um, actually, got to sit down and watch Alex, Alex Shelley versus AC Mack. Um, loved it. My, not quite my match of the year, but I really, really love that match, and it's a amazing Alex Shelley performance. And AC Mack, yeah, I think you've always liked him more than I've liked him in the ring, but this is probably the best AC Mack performance I've seen since facing Austin Theory in like 2019 or 2018. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that... it, 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 it was AC Mack in rare form, and that's a babyface nonetheless. I'm like. AC Mack as a babyface in action has been pretty hit or miss for me, but I think that speaks. I think that's really a testament to Alex Shelley and how malleable and versatile and adaptable Alex Shelley is to the situation that he's put in. And it was it was a really good match. Yeah, I mean the thing with AC Mack is that this current character is probably the best situation, or I guess it's not even a character really, um, but like the current situation that he's in, where he's trying to be basically a babyface in the South and a heel in the North. Um, is the best situation for him because he's always been a natural babyface in ring. When it comes to wrestling, he's better as a babyface, but he cannot be a babyface on the mic. Like, he is a heel on the mic. So it's always been this weird mix-up where him trying to wrestle as a heel kind of sucks. Um, I'll say it at this point. Like, I, I've always kind of big-upped him a bit and tried to push for him more, but he's not a great wrestler as a heel, really. Um, but as a babyface, I think he's actually pretty fucking good. So him being able to kind of mix the two by being a heel and a babyface, depending on where he's wrestling, um, I think is a much better situation for him so yeah i, I that match um the follow-up the, the match with matcha slamovich defending the iwtv title that just went online a little bit ago was was good not great um but uh but you know whatever uh moving on from there i guess we can get into unless uh, brian i don't know do you have any matches or anything you want to shout out before we talk about the pay-per-view i haven't watched anything i mean there's stuff i want to watch but for some i like i have an apple tv so what becomes the problem when you use an Apple TV is uh, piracy gets very hard. 
Uh, YouTube sure. doesn't have a lot of matches on it that people have turned me on to, I guess. And uh, New Japan World, not on there. Because uh, I would have... really? Yeah. No. And, and I probably would have watched the uh, Okada Desperado and Shingo uh, Ishii matches if I, you know, could get it on my Apple TV. But it's too much of a pain in the ass. Uh, I'm not going to sit at my desk in my office and watch wrestling like uh, my friend Dan or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I haven't wa- all I've All I've been watching is AEW since, you know, basically I didn't even watch AEW during the pandemic. I, I think I got right back in as crowds were coming back. Uh, me, and, me and Brett switched our recording time so that I could start watching again when crowds came back. I watched all the pay-per-views. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I had a, a tough time even watching wrestling without crowds. I, I just, it just, it didn't work for me at all. Yeah, can't blame you. Can't blame you. Um, Quentin, did you continue the streak? Has, does the tradition continue that you did not watch the buy-in? Okay. Okay. I watched the I watched a six-man tag. Okay. Oh, that that that's it. I wanted I wanted to see uh, Layla versus Statlander. I didn't get around to it. But the buy-in looks like it was actually pretty good this time. Yeah, I only saw the six man tag though. All right, Brian, did Bad you watch camera the, wor- the? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I did. I did uh, uh, watch it. Yeah. Bad camera work and uh, Layla Hirsch Statlander match like really hurt it for me. I know a lot of people like really liked it a lot. Uh, my wife yeah. even was like, she doesn't pay super close attention, and she was like, I th- I think it's pretty cool, but the camera just caught some really bad angles on strike exchanges. That really kind of, I don't know. It just it took me out of it, you know. But sure. I thought it was pretty good, you know. <laughs> yeah, I thought that it was a good showcase on kind of you know a pay per view. What's supposed to be a big deal? It's on the buy in, whatever. To be like, women's wrestling can be something else when you show someone like Layla Hirsch going out here and wrestling this style. And that's not to say that this is not a style that like plenty of other wrestlers work right, but mostly ma- male wrestlers. So I do, I could definitely see, like, it was good for that. I think it's weird that people go crazy for it. Um, but I think it's good not only to show, like, okay, Layla Hurst, she's been there for a while, but she wrestles this style. And also, like I said, this is kind of a coming out party to say, like, no, we're serious about doing something with her. And uh, and then, you know, obviously they build to the Dynamite match. And it, I still think that even in, a, in the loss there, um, that they're saying, like, this is a player in the women's division. This isn't just, like, she's just some, you know, some goof or whatever she's someone to be taken seriously moving forward um so yeah but i'm with you that yeah the camera work wasn't great and i don't think it was like an amazing match and chris is like probably the best person to go up against her for something like this because chris statlander as you know as a wrestler is pretty much able to work with anybody and do tons of different styles um so yeah to like trying to show off to people like expect some like hard hitting you know and aew has been really pushing the the boundaries on that which i think is really is actually good because you know wwe you basically get the house style everything is like every women's match is pretty similar um they all work the same style and like so to a lot of people that's how women's wrestling works and they don't understand that you can have like women's wrestlers who wrestle a ton of different styles like check out some joshi and see you know like the all the stardom that people are going crazy about you have everything from like the high speed title to shuri right now um and i would love to see more of that in in the united states um hook and qt marshall ah, too long i think and this started for me the night of like i guess i don't know if we want to talk about the promo with callus brian do you care about the don callus promo 
I, it was fine. I I, I yeah. don't know if I cared about it necessarily. I thought it was kind of funny, but it, it was okay. <laughs> I like Don Callis. I I uh, uh, am a Don Callis guy. I think he has the yeah. best look of any manager. He also is like <clears throat> Paul Heyman gets a lot of like credit for being like this really great guy, but I think Don Callis is what people think Paul Heyman is. Oh fuck, that's a. That's a big statement on this podcast. That was, I think. That was, a, that was, yeah. that was a strong one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I just think Paul, Heyman, Paul Heyman's been oh, phoning ahead. it in for, like, a long time, I feel like. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I, I don't watch WWE regularly, so I don't, I don't even know what he's been like for the past couple of years. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just a few weeks ago, I think, on this podcast, me and Quentin were saying, like, Paul Heyman is a Hall of Fame level, level all-time wrestling character. So, you know. To say Don Callis, but I agree with you that I'm a Don Callis guy, and I like I like him being you know back on uh, TNT when he's at the AEW because of the network tie-in thing. Um, I always I find that kind of funny, um, and the promo was good for what it was. But I, the reason why I ask you, do you care, is because I I like I said we're like kind of insane wrestling nerds. When we do the podcast, we like skip over promos and shit like that a lot of times and just talk about the wrestling. And I know a lot of people care about that stuff. They like the pageantry, and uh, and all the extras. And I'm kind of more about like the in ring. Um, so I just wanted to check in with you before I skipped over that promo. Um, Hook and QT Marshall, like I said, feel like too long and was the start of basically... This is AEW's problem on pay-per-views for me is that I think every match goes too long. This match wasn't even five minutes, but I still think it was too long. I think uh, I think it needs to be a while before they start having Hook have longer matches, not necessarily even because he can't carry them, but because I just don't want to see it. Um, yeah, that, that was going to be my question because I haven't seen it. Like, Was it a thing where Hook was overexposed or you no. just didn't? Like no. them, or you just thought you you just don't want to see it. No, I just want to see Hook destroying people. Still, I don't think that they've gone long oh, oh. enough with him just completely killing people. Uh, so I'm okay. not ready to start seeing him sell. But I, maybe I'm wrong. Brian, what did you think of QT and Hook? Oh, I liked it. I I thought that like maybe I I, I was more high on it just because like I kind of like seeing Hook like do different things. I think they're like trying to add little pieces. Uh, as as he goes and like uh uh being able to sell like is important and and like this is probably the least amount of people that will be watching him at the same time that this might have been a unless it was on dark this is like like the second best place to have him and i think putting him on dark like kind of pushes him down uh like makes them yeah. less special so i just feel like i feel like this was the perfect place to have him selling for the first time and and stuff like that because like this is the lowest amount of people that are going to be watching hook at one time sure no yeah, i agree with that although weirdly like didn't didn't uh didn't tony khan come out and say like the pay-per-view was technically starting a half hour early so I'm like, does this count as part of the pay-per-view? I, he said that, and then I feel like nothing ever came of it. Like, and this was still all branded as the buy-in and not part of the show. So I just thought that was very weird, either way. Um, and uh, and Hook, I'll say, he had the ultimate disrespect is that when he locked in the Taz mission in the Red Room, he crossed the ankles in the front uh, because he was not afraid that QT had any chance of countering him. Um, Quentin, so this is the first match you saw, the trios match, House of Black versus uh, Pac, Redbeard, and Penta Obscuro. Um Feel free to give your thoughts on this. Uh, Eric Redbeard is extremely <coughs> dude. Like that's the kind of I like guys like that, <laughs> like that are yeah. that are 
kind of maybe uh, kind of limited, but they look insane. And uh, that's just I just love that kind of shit. I love these ex WWE guys coming in and doing cool, fun stuff and showing that they have some kind of charisma. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Quentin, what did you think? Um, oh, go ahead. It was really, it was really good. I liked the. Um, I really like how House of Black is shaping up in this kind of way. I think that me and me and you, Tim, have both been kind of critical of Brody King at times. Sure. So I think that right now in this spot, especially in a six man unit, that's probably a good way to like make the best use of him as a kind of wrecking ball that can occasionally do some really spectacular things. But for as much shit as we might give him. Buddy Matthews look great here, and I think he does add a lot. Um, at least, at least in this sense here. Do I want to see Buddy Matthews versus Kenny Omega and shit like that? Probably, no, I don't. I'm not really <laughs> particularly interest, interested in all that. In, in all that, but in a six man tag sense, in a trio sense, where they can go out there for as long as they want to, like it went pretty long. They went like 17 or 18 minutes for this, I think. So, like for this kind for this kind of match, I think that he is a really good spark plug. Malachi can hit his spots well. And obviously, you know, we know we're getting from Pack. Penta can Penta can uh, add a lot of fla- add a lot of flavor and personality to a match. And I'm I might be lost here. Where did the Eric Redbeard inclusion come from? I mean, he's I, Pack's I, friend, I, Eric Redbeard. It's you know, just <laughs> just friends. <laughs> That's not Rampage. On Rampage yeah. the night before, I think it's because they were holding out to the last minute for Phoenix to be able. Yeah. To do okay. It, is what yeah. I that's think the happened. real story. Yeah, but the but the storyline was just Pac's friend Eric Redbeard. Like that's how they described him, which is fucking amazing. Like everyone knows no, Pac's friend Eric Redbeard. So I wanted, so I just, so I just want to think of like think like is it just that they just happen to be ex WWE guys or like I'm well, missing something? Is there like a is there like an NXT interaction here's between the thing. Here's Pac what and my Redbeard mind. that I'm missing? Here's what just crossed my mind is the only thing that makes sense. Pac and uh, oh god, god, fucking Gray, Oliver Gray, right? Was that his NXT? Yeah, name? Oliver Gray. Uh, were the first NXT tag team champions, and I believe the finals of the tournament to crown the first NXT tag team champions was, was against the Wyatt. Was, was, Har- was Harper? Yeah, Harper yeah. and Rowan. Okay. Harper and Rowan. Yeah. So I think that would be the that would be the closest thing to like a real worthwhile connection that you could make. Um, but uh, I don't even know if that's true. I'd have to double check, but I would assume that that was the case. Um, to say, weren't, they weren't they weren't they weren't even in the same Japanese company. So no, I'm like, no. where the fuck where, where the fuck would they have crossed paths at? Yeah, right. I know it's kind of is weird, but yeah. Thor, uh, but I'm with uh, I'm uh, I'm with Brian here in that like this is a trios match with a ton of big names, a ton of big stars, and like people who um, who like should be a big deal. And Th- uh, Thorius or yeah, Thorius Morris was the guy who stood out to me. Fucking uh, old Redbeard Eric. Like, he just had something special here. There was charisma. He was, like, working hard. And uh, I thought about it, and you know what makes the most sense and is really fucking funny about this? Is that this is, like, a Brian Danielson thing. And I don't know if people realize that, but when they were teamed up in WWE, Brian liked him. Brian wanted to be with Redbeard, wanted yeah, to make he, something like he's, out of he's, him. He's speci- he specifically yeah. picked him. He could have picked anybody else. He chose Rowan to be his heater. Yeah, so Rowan being in AEW is probably Brian Danielson wanting to bring him in. And, like, people don't even realize that. And, like, he's busting his ass here. So I'm hoping they keep him around because, fuck, like, he's really good for them. And he was actually working super hard here. Yeah, and he uh, looks good. I, I, I'm actually hoping they, they get him and no more BS Paul White in a stairs match. Ooh. Like, yes. that would be something that I would. I'd be so, if Tony Khan wasn't such a coward, like, he's such a conservative booker 
he would do some stuff like that. I still think he needs to do a singles match between Sting and Jeff Hardy, but we will see. Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God, yes. He really does need to book that. Because, like, well, everyone was losing their shit over, um, was it Ty Conti versus um, Santana Garrett? And they're like, this was the, you know, the match on NXT that, you know, beat AEW in the ratings or something. It was the only time and all this. Yeah. And then they, they rematched it on great. AEW and it was like, oh my, like that kind of nerd stuff is like whatever. But yeah, if you want to do the real fun nerd stuff, I want to see Jeff Hardy versus Sting in a match where you tease that like Jeff Hardy's going to be fucking strung out on barbiturates before the match. Like that's what I want. If you really want to like, <laughs> make references he's, to he's gonna, he's gonna. He's gonna, he's gonna he's gonna fake out Sting and roll him up. Yes, exactly. Something that, like teasing Sting, getting set <laughs> oh, on fire, shit. having dogs chasing him, like bring back like references to that stuff. Um, yeah, Tony Khan is just such a conservative guy when it comes to like booking and stuff that he does not ever indulge the goofiest, the goofier, yeah, kind of side of wrestling. He's running a very serious company that. That you know, like I, he has Orange Cassidy and like Danhausen and stuff like that, but but like Danhausen isn't like really gonna get a push, and he's just there to like he's there because he's, uh, you know, he got over on the Indies is is why he's there, right. and like uh, uh, the kind of goofy stuff I like is that kind of thing where it's just like that stairs match is legit legitimately one of the worst wrestling matches I've ever seen, and I um went. I I got a Grapple account for the Grapple app. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so I could go on there and rate the stairs match <laughs> five stars, and then never got on there again. So there is yes. a Murder <laughs> Brian Grapple account, and it's got one rating, and it's five stars for the stairs match between Eric Rowan and the Big Show. Nice. Now that has me curious as to what the average is for that rating now, because I just threw the averages off it was for this bad. match that no, for this for this match that people probably <laughs> didn't go back and watch. Like how like well, how long how long ago was that? Like damn near ten years 2014. ago. Twenty fourteen. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, that, so it's probably it's a that, perfect five now. <laughs> it's that match, and uh, the other one I always bring up is uh, Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Oh, dude, don't oh, get me yeah. fucking started on that match. Oh, oh fuck, dude, it's don't one even of the get me started on that shit. Ever, man. That match is so funny because dude, it was I'm like, so I'm bad. A, <laughs> I'm a fucking. I've always been like a huge Ambrose fan, like dating back to like when he like first showed up in FCW and stuff. So like I like was huge into Ambrose, the Roman Reigns. I'm like, oh, Dean is the guy. They're not getting behind Dean. Fuck them. This and that. He gets the Lesnar match at WrestleMania. And Lesnar just doesn't want to do any of the shit Dean wants to do. Oh, it just gets me so fucking... It's yes. such shit. The build yes. was crazy, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They did su- it's like one of the most rare WWE things is a build that's good. And, like, that build was, like, good. It was kind of exciting. And, like, yes. uh, uh, it stunk. The, the match was so bad and disappointing. So, uh, yeah, I, I fucking, uh, uh, for some reason, those two matches just stick out in my mind as being, like, funny, I guess. Sure. Yeah, but see, you know what? That's the ultimate Lesnar thing, and, and he may have gotten that from the uh, aforementioned Paul Heyman. It's like, once the build is good, you've already got the crowds in the fucking seats. The match doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. They've into it. Yeah. The build has been great. The, the crowd's into it. So fuck it. This match is going to be shit. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And it, it's again, it, it's like once you go back now and watch it, it's it's kind of funny to watch. But 
Like, uh, at the time, I remember being so fucking furious about it. And the show's like six hours long, has one of the worst main events. Uh, oh, yeah. That's fucking, that's, fucking, that's fucking Taker and Shane in the Hell in a Cell match. Oh, well, I thought like, it was Taker Roman Reigns. Where oh, hold on. Taker what, left hold on, his hold on, to think. stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, uh, I'm trying to think. Hold on. Hold on. I oh. my, yeah, I'm thinking that. Stumped, but that's okay. That's that's twenty. That's twenty. That's twenty sixteen. So that yeah, that that would have been um, that would have been Roman versus Triple H, and that would have been Ugh. Undertaker versus versus Shane. All in the same all in the same show. Ugh. Undertaker versus Shane, Triple H versus Roman, and Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Some of the worst wrestling ever done. Like that show is <laughs> God. That Roman versus Triple H match. You you know the best thing about Punk ever. Was when he said that Triple H was like, "You're gonna get to wrestle me at Mania." And he's like, "I don't want to fucking wrestle you." Well, like that's not some big privilege or something. <laughs> oh fuck! I could go on about 2016 WWE being the worst shit ever all day. Yeah. Uh, wasn't there like a, wasn't, wasn't there another buy-in match, Hardy Family Offers or some shit? No, that was later on in the show. Oh, that was on the show. No, wait, was on the there show? was a six-man in the show, or yeah, the six-man tornado tag match was oh, part shit. of the show. Okay, Tim. Where did Tim go? I don't know. Okay, all right. But it, yeah, it it was. Uh, uh, I mean that that era of WWE is. I mean that's when people stopped watching. If you think about like 2016, we're two years away from AEW. We have New Japan that people are getting crazy about. And also people are watching more Ring of Honor. And uh, that's really when I think the exodus started from WWE where people were just like, I can't watch this anymore. I just, it's not going to work for me anymore. All right. Well, I'm completely fucked up. You guys mentioned me being gone, so I can't even like save it and like pick up and act like I wasn't gone. My mic cut out for a bit, so... Either way, uh, we finished the buy-in. There was a lot of old WWE talk. I had a bunch of like grade-A goofs and gaffs in there that may or may not have gotten picked up on my recording. We'll find out when I'm editing. I'll uh, probably take them out, though, because it'll sound awkward. Not because they were not good jokes, I promise. Um, pay-per-view starts proper. And uh, some people might say uh, Eddie Kingston... Or some people might say Brian Quimby is actually the Eddie Kingston of podcasting. But I'll say the opposite. I'll say that Eddie Kingston is the Brian Quimby of wrestling. Uh, we got Eddie Kingston opening the show against Chris Jericho. Brian, what did you think of this match? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that's not... I think, you know, obviously, as you said earlier, I listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts. Uh, I'm not as down on Jericho as other people, especially now. He, he looks great. Uh, I think the new gimmick is really good. And, like, uh, uh, I thought it was a good match. I thought Jericho looked fucking great. Probably his best match in this company, for sure. Yes. The only thing so I could think thing. of that oh. is maybe better would have to be the Kenny Omega match at the Tokyo Dome. But that was just because of shock value. How, how, cool, how, you know, how cool he looked and how good the match was. Right. Right. Um, you're not a big Ultra Liger fan? Um, but, uh, no, I, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, there's probably a ton of people who are beating up Jericho for sure, including like people that we're related to, but this match I think has been universally praised. Quentin, you're on, you're on the same page with that, right? Like you enjoyed this match? No, this is really good. Um, God, this is the best Jericho match I've seen in like, well, 
I, I, I did really like I did really like Jericho versus MJF from last year. Okay. Um, so I can't say it's like been ages since I've seen him have a match this good, but it's, it's probably better than that though. So if I'm saying that, it's probably the best Jericho match since since Naito maybe. Like it really it really is um that good. You got to see Eddie Kingston take Jericho out of his comfort zone. This is like Jericho having his you know, ba- like baby's first King's Road match, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's and it's, it's, it's a it's a fun little novelty thing. It's like those thirteen minutes, and Eddie Kingston drops him on his head a bunch, and they chop each other. And it's it's a, to see a Jericho do such a change of pace. One of my issues with Jericho over the last few years, and I find him more inoffensive than bad for the most part. I don't ever actually hate Jericho really, but the thing that bothers me about Jericho all the time is it feels like he's trying to prove he still has it when he has these kind of people that he wants to work with so badly. So a Kenny Omega, he wants to go out there and have a Kenny Omega-style match and like prove that he can go with Kenny Omega. Or AJ Styles in 2016. He wants to prove that he can go with AJ Styles, who's regarded as the best wrestler in the world, all these accolades, this stuff and that stuff. And in those situations, I feel like Jericho overextends himself instead of doing what he's most effective at. And... I think that this was one of the few times in which he's tried to play someone else's game, but he actually totally understood it and didn't do too much. Eddie Kingston has become like the perfect opener guy for AEW. This is like two for two now between this between this and the Miro match. And yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how by how much I like this. Sure. And you know, talking all about like best Jericho matches. I can definitely see where people are coming from. I like the Tanahashi match. I think maybe a lot of other people didn't like it that much. Um, and also, I was like, and you know, obviously this is like maybe just looking back on it, but I was pretty high on a lot of Jericho and ECW stuff. Um, and I know that there's people who are not as big of fans of that, um, in, especially like uh, the the TV title program that he had with Shane Douglas. And this was at a time period where I thought Shane Douglas was absolutely phenomenal. So like, I would say that like, you know, again, Jericho having really good matches with Shane Douglas in like two, in like 96 is probably not like really ringing endorsement for, for Chris Jericho. And I would say like their best interaction was a four way elimination match that was like, had two cold Scorpio in it. And I think like, uh, uh, someone, I can't even think of who else was in it. I just remembered like Shane Douglas was on one in that match, like playing this fucking, I don't know the character that time. So that was when he had first come back and he was playing like a character where he was like kind of like down on his luck, like rejected ace who is building his way back up to the company. Now that he's back from WWE, like he's not just going to instantly be world champion again. Um, So he's like fighting for the TV title, but he's also like kind of being like he's broken down and he's got to build his way. So he's doing shit like doing the uh, untying your boot and the figure four to get out of it kind of shit. And that kind of stuff I fucking absolutely love. Like, I always love that kind of stupid character stuff, you know? So, like, yeah, that. but again, I'm talking about, like, oh, Jericho was in this really great match where basically what I'm saying is Shane Douglas kicks ass. Um, so, you know, maybe this is not the time for that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Kingston-Jericho, uh, phenomenal. Jericho's best match in forever. Uh, it, again, as Brian said, makes you, makes you not think that Jericho's washed up and shitty. Um, you know, he looks like he's in good shape. He is wrestling one of the best that there is going right now in Eddie Kingston. So what do you expect? But this shit was not just like Kingston goes out there and fucking plays the hits. I mean, you needed Jericho to be apt and be game and really pull this off. And even the storyline stuff afterwards, I thought was good. Um, trios tag match, red dragon, 
uh, Young Bucks and Jurassic Express. Quentin, feel free to uh, to talk about this because it's got the Young Bucks, and I know I know that you know Case is the number one Young Bucks fan, but you got to be number two, right? Uh, that fucking sucks that he gets to like <laughs> take like take on all the all the Young Bucks credit. I fucking hate that. I know. But, <laughs> I'm just kidding because that fucking uh, article that comes out every time I shit know, like this happens. Man. I know. I know. <laughs> no, I mean like this is like classic Bucks multi mad madness in a lot of ways, right? And Bucks and Red Dragon historically have always have always had really good chemistry. It's good to see them go, go be able to, be able to mix it up, even if it's not like a full on thing, because they're both because they're still doing this kind of uneasy alliance or whatever. But I think ultimately, as I mentioned, did a lot for Jurassic Express. I think that each time they go out, clearly Jurassic Express is super over. They've delivered every single time out, pretty much since AW's inception. Everything that they've gotten, they one hundred percent deserve. And I think that stuff like this is just solidifying, no, they really are a good team. Or at least it's like making them at least seem like they're worthy for being the champions when you have Red Dragon and the Young Bucks and Proud and Powerful and all the other teams around them. It makes at least make, gives that give them that credibility that they need in order to walk around as champions. So I, I liked it for that booking aspect. I think it's just like a much needed win for those guys. But... You know, I'm a sucker for the Bucks and Red Dragon tension. I love, I love, I love their matches together. I love their chemistry. I love their interactions. I love the history between them. I'm, I'm all in on that. So I'm into how it moves the story forward between those, between those two teams. But I think my main takeaway is, uh, it did a lot. I think it did a lot for Jurassic Express. It was fun as, it was fun as shit. I think some of the stuff Jungle Boy did was absolutely insane. I'll never get over how crazy Nick Jack, Nick Jackson's as Carlera is. His big. His big die for the for the multi mans is always a beautiful uh it's always a beautiful one, but yeah I think this was a really well laid out thing that did a lot for for Jurassic Express. Yeah, I've I've said it a hundred times, but I think that Nick Jackson will be a guy that like, you know, years down the line, it's weird to say Nick Jackson will be like a Buddy Rose type guy, but like when nerds are going through the tape, they'll be like, yeah, the Young Bucks were really popular and famous, but like you you people did not appreciate just how good Nick Jackson was on his own. You know, Nick, really, like, Nick is legitimately teams. one of Nick is legitimately one of the best high flyers of his generation. But because he's in a tag team, like it just kind of like overshadows that. But individually, Nick is one of the best flyers I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, but yeah, I just I think it, you know you talking about the Bucks Red Dragon and the chemistry and how great that is. One thing that crossed my mind is, could you imagine how cool it would be if we also got an AEW? We had Monster Mafia. Like, fucking Josh re-signing <laughs> with TNA really pisses me off. Because if we could get, like, Bucks, Red Dragon, Monster Mafia, you know, Lucha Express, like, we could be having some real, like, 2000s, 2010s fucking nostalgia tag team craziness going on right now. But, uh, you know, whatever. We got we got this. Um, I'm with you, but I also think that, like, it's, wasn't, it's not Lucha Express to me. It's like this match was built to make Jungle Boy look like something. Like, and and not to say that he's not. Well, well, but, well ultimately, ultimately, he's the end game. Right. Like, Luchas like Luchasaurus, he's he is what he is. He's he does what he does for his spots. He has his great hot tag. He'll come in and his whip it, he'll whiff his spinning heel kick and like <laughs> that's fine. Like it's cool. Like he'll miss his spinning heel kick and we're all go home because they won and we're happy. But obviously it's a vehicle for Jungle Boy at the end of the day. Yeah. And one thing that crossed my mind is I remember there was like when when the private party beat the Young Bucks in like an upset and people were like the private party are the next Young Bucks and blah blah blah. Like 
it did cross my mind th- in this match thinking like, you know, there's that, that old adage that like the next thing can't be a repeat of the last thing, right? People say that in wrestling pretty commonly. And like private party were too much like the same thing as the young bucks, you know, they're, the, they're too much trying to still be the young bucks, even down to the fact that like, they're actually trying to be a tribute to the Hardy boys, which the young bucks are trying to be a tribute to the Hardy boys. Right. So it's like almost the too much the same where Jurassic express is actually able to be the next thing. And in a lot of ways, Jurassic express are the new young bucks because they're not just a rehash of the same thing like yes jungle boy does some high-flying moves but you got the big little dynamic you've got the weird like gimmick of it the comedy aspect of it you like i just feel like that little bit of difference and and kind of that whole vibe is what makes it so they're able to kind of they are actually able to take up the mantle as being kind of the new young bucks as the young bucks turn into like more of a icon slash nostalgia act um but brian what did you think of the of this match I thought it was pretty good. You know, it's weird when I watch the the Jurassic Express. The 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 weird thing to me is that like Jungle Boy is considered one of the the pillars of the company and uh I feel like he's like way far behind the other three pillars of the company, but like I don't like his gimmick. So I guess that might be the actual problem. I, I think he's a good wrestler. I think he's fun to watch. His gimmick drives me fucking crazy. I cannot believe that he's going that that doing the jungle boy thing. I don't know. It just it drives me fucking nuts. Uh but I love uh I love Kyle O'Reilly. So any match with him in it makes me excited. And I also like the Bucks too. I just thought this was like maybe I feel like I've seen it before. You know, because of the million times that there were three-way yes. matches with the Red Dragon and the Young Bucks, like running it back like that, I, I just kind of felt like, well, I've I've seen this. It it felt samey to some of that older stuff, but you know that's not bad. Those matches kick ass too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, sure, you know, Jurassic Express are not the time splitters or. I mean, maybe they're better than Forever Hooligans. I don't know, Quentin. That's debatable. Um, but uh, but Ooh, yeah, they, uh, they, they no, Rocky Rocky's really good. I don't yes. know if I can say that. <laughs> I know, but Alex caused. I mean, I liked. I honestly liked Forever Hooligans. So whatever. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like feeding into it. Um, but one thing I did want to say because you mentioned that you don't like uh, Jungle Boy and uh, you know Brian. Last night I I actually just listened to the podcast from the live stream last night and you mentioned uh, Kroger playing music on repeat. And one thing that that crossed my mind is I remember when I worked at Vaughn's, or actually it was Pavilions, which is I think the same company as Kroger now. They played the music on repeat, like you mentioned. And one of the songs that they played on repeat was uh, the fucking Jungle Boy song. What what is the Jungle Boy song? Was so is that kind of part of why you have animosity with Jungle Boy? Did Kroger <laughs> play that song over and over again? It's not even. I don't think it's animosity. I think he's going to be great. I just I don't know how he. I guess I don't know how he moves up the card being called Jungle Boy and in and, sure. and the Jungle Boy gear and stuff like that. I don't know how I I cannot picture that, you know, so like I'm not I don't know. I, I, I just like I would have liked to have seen him bring him in as like kind of something else. And it, it, it feels really weird to me that Tony Khan, this guy that like again takes things super he's like a serious booker guy 
you know, where it's like, right. you know, up at the top of the card, it's got to be this and this and this and stuff like that. He's like 50% Jim Cornette. Like, he's like not Jim Cornette at all, but he's like 50% of that. And just to bring in a guy that's supposed to be at the top of your card and then call, letting him call himself Jungle Boy seems like a huge mistake to me. Sure. I mean, some people might argue that 50% is uh, at all, but, you know, Brian, it's fine. It's Feel free That's to... True. <laughs> That's a good so, point. I mean, I was just saying, like, I don't want to make no, it sound I know like what you he's mean. like... Yeah. I, I, would also, I, would also say, I would also say... I would also say, like, in, 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 in defense of Jungle Boy, like, it only extends <laughs> as far as the... It, it only extends as far as the entrance, really. Like, he's not Luchasaurus out here in, like... Yeah. Like green makeup underneath his green fucking mask, like, <laughs> and has literally like prompted people to make tweets so cringy that they're like saying that he's like a, a literal dinosaur or something. Like that there's grooming going on because of how Jungle Boy is young and he's thousands of years old or something. Yeah. You know what I'm like? Yeah. Yeah. If, if if he if Jungle Boy couldn't talk and was like doing a whole Tarzan thing, like me Jungle Boy, like it's like yeah. that kind of shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. <laughs> He did wear jeans. He has worn jeans before. <laughs> I see yeah, that yeah, he should do more he often. He has he has clothes. Yeah. <laughs> he should wear jeans more often. I'm with that for sure. Uh, but yeah, I just I and and the name of the song is Tarzan Boy. And I feel like an idiot for not remembering that in the moment. But uh, you know, we we all make make do. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, we, we talked about it before we started the podcast. I don't know if it was on the air, but like you know, this podcast started out from like PWO PTBN like. Tony is from fucking Smarks Choice and, and uh, uh, DVDVR. Like, you know, the, his kind of nerdy taking wrestling seriously is our kind of nerdy taking wrestling seriously. So I get exactly what you mean. You know, you're, you you want the... you you. It's odd that he would then, like, be like, Jungle Boy. Yeah, that fuck it. Even JR was, like, refusing to call him Jungle Boy forever. So it is kind of... Oh, yeah, Jungle Boy. Oh, JR was going, going into business for himself for, like, the <laughs> fucking first full year of AEW's existence. Yes. Like... I refuse to let him just be Jungle Boy. Yeah. I, I am not letting it happen. Yeah, which is amazing that he did that and still gets paid to this day. And uh, we haven't, we don't talk about commentary. That's another thing we don't do on this podcast, really, is talk about commentary. Um, but he was pretty bad on this show. I'll just say that. Yeah, he's um, always really bad. bad. Yeah, he's, he's, he's bad. Like, he's old, if he's it, tired. Yeah, like. Yeah, like I, I would much. I would really like the if they got someone else because I don't Taz. know. I don't think. Taz. I don't think Jr. <laughs> does anything. Does anything at this point? Yeah, for Taz the product. Like so, Taz. Regal, yeah. Regal Taz would be better out there. Yeah, it's amazing. Big, even 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 Big Show. <laughs> I'd, I would take. Yeah, there's a lot of people I would take over Jr. on commentary. And you've got Tony Schiavone who makes him look even worse. Because Tony yeah. is like the complete opposite and just like in a good mood with it. Into yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funnier when you think about Tony because like Tony at his worst when he was like completely checked out on wrestling. Tony's fucking awful, right? Yeah. And like even like when he came back to when he came back to wrestling with MLW, you could tell like he kept up with it like to the point where he could be like decent. He's not like hurting the, harming the product or whatever. But he wasn't super into MLW. Right. Not, Tony has something that he is like actually really excited in. Like Tony's my favorite. Tony's my favorite annou- announcer. Ever. Oh yeah. So him being super into AEW helps me a lot with the product for sure. Yeah, I mean, a longtime PWG fan, it's hard for me to not say like I love Excalibur, but yeah, Tony's the best part oh, yeah. of the commentary team. Oh yeah. Um, I guess we should move on. Ladder match, big crazy ladder match following uh the the four way. What what did you think about the card placement and the match, Brian? There two two spot fests back to back. Mm. I didn't like this match. 
Uh, which was weird because when I listened to reviews, they were all like, oh, that was a really good match. But uh, uh, I didn't like it at all. I, I, as I was watching it, I was like, you know, when you're booking it, and, and I was guilty of this too, putting all these huge dudes in the match, you're like, this is going to be fucking sick. This is going to be crazy. These, these huge guys are in the match. But as I'm watching it, I'm like, hmm, there's really a reason they don't do these with a bunch of huge guys. And right. it, it was like a lot of like newer guys except for Christian. And like, uh, I don't know. It didn't. The thing about it is I, I, it didn't even, to me, feel like a spot fest. It, it felt plotting. To me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely trying to put a lot of storyline aspects and stuff in here. Um, ooh, goddamn. I was going to call you out and be like, actually, Orange Cassidy has been wrestling for quite a time, but um, Christian has been wrestling nearly 10 years longer than Orange Cassidy. So yeah, and Orange Cassidy's not bad. <laughs> I, I do, I, I will say that, but I mean, but Orange Cassidy and Christian can't really, like, do anything with Hobbs. Yeah. Wardlow and uh, fuck, who was the other guy that was out? Oh, Ricky Starks I mean, and fine. Keith. Keith Lee. And Keith, Keith Lee's Lee, also yeah. been wrestling for like ten years, but you know whatever. Yeah, but Keith uh, Lee is like not in good shape. <laughs> like I think he kind of, I think he gets blown up pretty easily sure. right now. Well, is that's what why it this kind of like. match is not for guys like that. Like you, like you already yep. said. And to me, the best parts of the match were to me the best part of the match. The Brit Large was just. Um, the teasing of, of Hobbs and Wardlow. Like, I've wanted those two guys to be a tag team since I saw this fucking picture of them together on Twitter where I was like, oh my god, that's the best looking tag team ever. And them working together to beat the shit out of Keith Lee was like the high spot of the entire match for me. Um, otherwise, everything else was like, you know, yeah, pr- kind of rough. You get the fucking Danhausen involvement, which is just like really tough for me. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's nuts that you're saying you heard a bunch of reviews where people were positive on this because I'm just like... Yeah, I was not positive on this match. I, I liked the outcome. I There was a few things in there that I enjoyed with Wardlow, but overall, I thought the match was... Number one, it's fucking really fucking stupid to get all these guys out here to take insane bumps and do wild shit with ladders right after you have a, a you know a trios, a three-way tag team match with like all the spots and the real like exciting fun getting into it, like... It, you know, actual emotions with the high spots that the Young Bucks can bring, the, like, insane hard nose, hard-hitting uh, stuff that you can get from Red Dragon, and then, uh, you know, jungle like I said, jung- Jungle Boy feeling like the next big thing and becoming a star. There's, like, so much excitement in that match on top of, like, in-ring, but also outside of it, like, adding to it. And you followed up with this, where you got guys who are legitimately risking life and limb. Ricky Starks coming off of a broken frickin' neck is taking stupid-ass powerbomb bump that looks like it may have, like, set him back. Who knows? Hopefully he's fine. But, like, yeah, that, that, that was such dumb card placement on top of the match being, like, a bummer. But, Quentin, like, am I completely off base? What did you think of this this ladder match here? I mean, no, like, it's a thing that sounds, like, it sounds cool in theory. Like, oh, we're gonna put all these big guys in this ladder match. It's like, Alright, I wonder how you're going to do this in a way in which makes it, makes it feel like more unique than the ladder matches that WWE drowns us in every year. So, in theory, I thought it was a good idea, but in execution, it didn't really provide anything. Like, the Keith the Keith Lee, Wardlow, and um, Powerhouse Hobbit interactions didn't really amount to much. You could argue that they're saving some of that stuff for bigger matches down the line, but it didn't really do enough to carry it here. 
Christian is a great is a great glue guy. So in his spots and taking certain taking certain things, he was great. Same thing with Ricky Starks, Arch Cassidy in his spots at the beginning were the highlight for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the this 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 getting the cat uh, with them with them both holding the ladder up, I thought was fucking incredible. And I was like, wow, how did he even do that? <laughs> but other but 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 other than that, like, yeah, I, I think it was a cool idea. But then you also, but then you you throw those kind of guys in there, and then you're like, oh yeah, they don't know how to work ladder matches. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of them would have been fine, but I I just think there were so many pe- there's so many people backstage that you could put in that match that would have been much better to watch in it, and like uh, uh yeah, you know I. I think the people I heard giving it good reviews too is because I posted something snarky about it on oh, yeah. online, and people were like, "What do you mean you didn't like that?" And it's like, oh, "I just didn't like it. Fuck, I like the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't like that match. I like the finish. I like Wardlow yeah. Oh, yeah. a like, lot. I, th- I think I think that people can't separate certain things. It's like we can be happy that Wardlow won, and we can be like, "Oh yeah, like Wardlow winning was a really good decision, and it got a great reaction." Uh, the match itself wasn't good. <laughs> I'll say what what really frustrates me. I think is like uh, uh, people had built up in their mind that this match is Keith Lee's match to win because he deserves to have the title, and like. He should win this because this is his first big match, and you got to win your first big match. And like you know, I hear people constantly they they're dropping the ball with Keith Lee. It's like he's been here for a month. Like how were they dropping the half ball? Half of that with time he was on fucking. Um, he was. On, I'm sorry for interrupting you, honestly, but half the time that he uh, has been here, he was on fucking honeymoon. That's why they did they filmed pre tapes for his interviews. But yes, he's been here a month. Sorry for interrupting. He's been here a month, and also, like, it's putting him in a feud with with Powerhouse Hobbs is a good thing, because both of those guys deserve a push, you know? It, 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 it's going to get Powerhouse Hobbs on TV more, and uh, I think, like, it's, it's just, it's altogether a better outcome, and even after watching Dynamite, I think it was even more a good call. To to uh, have Wardlow win the thing and uh, uh, keep Keith Lee with with uh, Hobbs or QT and, and and like have them working like with against Hobbs, I just think like people think that you when somebody comes in they should just get a title shot immediately that like or they should be like the most pushed person on the roster just because they just came in and it's like. Fuck, dude. I mean, some of these people have only been here for like a really short amount of time. Some of these people came in to help train and stuff like that. When they talk about like the people that came in, uh, uh, they talk about people who came in like like Jay Lethal or like Tony Nese and stuff like that. I don't think Jay Lethal came into the company thinking like, oh, they're going to push me at the top and I'm going to be like the TNT champion or I'm going to be the, the, the fucking, you know, I'm going to win the Owen or something like that. I don't think any of those people like thought that's what they were coming in to do. They were coming in to help with the younger people that are on the roster and uh, I'm sure they're all very happy to be getting paid. 
No, I think that's I think that's definitely very true that people kind of like put their own expect like Jay, like Jay Lethal. He's yeah. TNA like major major league wrestler. Like he's been everywhere. People reacted to him when he came out, so people are aware of who Jay Lethal is. But it's like, dude, Jay Lethal didn't come here thinking that he was gonna be anything. He's just like, okay, cool, this place will hire me, and I'll uh-huh. have some. And I'll, I'll have some matches sometimes that are mm-hmm. that happen to be good. I think yeah, when Jay I Lethal feel got like signed, people. I feel like people think the wrestlers get their feelings hurt when they don't have a title is really what I think sometimes. <laughs> yes, oh, for sure. <laughs> I think when Jay Lethal got signed, he basically said to himself like, Oh great. Tony doesn't know about me doing all of that bad shit. Yeah. I'm just going to get fucking signed and keep my mouth shut. Oh yeah. You're definitely like, Oh, you're going to sign me. Wait, you shit. Okay, cool. You don't know? Uh, All right, yes, we'll just get paid then. This is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to get signed and then watch social media explode. Um, But yeah, like, yeah, it's insane. And Keith, okay, if you you really believe Keith Lee should be a top-level guy, why the fuck do you want him getting a title shot for the TNT title? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you want him in the main party? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know that I even think it's like, I guess it's not... I see that as the Cody title. It's sure. like there's there's basically going to be people that, that are on the TNT title level. They'll get more matches. They'll get more TV time than the champ. And uh, I like the T- I like the TNT title, actually. Yeah. I, I'm like a huge fan of, like, anybody that's held it has been really fun. Now, I don't know about Scorpio Sky yet, but I'm prejudiced against him because uh, I hated SCU. Fair. That's fair. You know, not, <laughs> not everybody can uh, can you know truly love the Southern California lifestyle as much as uh, the, the rest of us, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, like no, the T. Uh, here's the thing about the TNT title, as you say, like say, like, do you want the Keith Lee getting a shot for the TNT title? But I'll put the TNT Championship history, the champions, up against the AEW World Champion history. Honestly, like you know, I will say like. The TNT title has a lot of really good champions. The world title has a lot of good champions, but I think comparatively, it's not like blowing it out of the water. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that the TNT title is uh, is definitely worthwhile. But if you want Keith to be a top level star, you don't. You know, I was excited too when I first thought about it. Oh, Keith can get a shot against Sammy. When you talk about like, oh, Keith not being good in a ladder match. Well, one of my favorite matches that Keith ever had was against Sammy in Texas on the Indies in like this weird gimmick match where. At one point, Keith Lee picks up the bleachers and power bombs the bleachers to get Sammy off of them. Like, it's one of the most insane, stupid things. So when you talk about, like, using gimmicks and having fun, sure. As long as it's not, like, a ladder match, Keith Lee can be fun <laughs> dealing with a bunch of gimmicks. But, like, ladders, ladder match situation, maybe not Keith Lee's thing. But then after I was, like, excited for a minute, oh, Keith and Sammy having a match again, that'll be fun. On top of the fact that Sammy drops the title. Um, like... No, Keith should not be fighting Sammy Guevara for the TNT title if you want him to be a star. Keith should be feuding with, you know, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, Team Taz to build him up to the top to where he starts you know, having a match with someone like Hangman Page and being at the top of the card rather than, you know, wrestling Sammy Guevara for the TNT title. So, yeah, like, fuck, Keith Lee should have won this. No, Wardlow should have won this. He's the perfect guy to win this. And honestly, I've been thinking about it. And the stuff with MJF and everyone being so excited about MJF being at the top, like, I think that there's time for that. And me and Quentin talked about this a couple weeks ago and, like, getting there really soon with the Hangman stuff. But realistically, I'm actually thinking, like, MJF, Wardlow, and them starting to feud over the TNT title 
wouldn't be the worst thing. And MJF mm-hmm. taking a little bit of time before he gets to the main event might not be necessarily the worst thing. So I think that you could do Wardlow and MJF and they have a kind of a feud and build and stuff and you involve the TNT title level and then you can like mix and like get in and out of the of the championship and like not have it involved as well. But yeah, like I just I don't I uh, I was kind of thinking about that and I was like, that's not necessarily the worst way to go. Um, but uh, we should probably move on because we've been talking about this ladder match for way too long. Yes, yeah, this, this ladder match wasn't good. Although we're yeah, it still wasn't even good. And we're in this about in, it in, 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 the, in this vicinity. <laughs> yeah, but we follow it up with uh, Jade Cardgill defending the TBS title against Tyke Haunty. Um, I saw a lot of hate on this match, and I get why. Um, but I thought that honestly, the match itself, the execution, there wasn't a ton wrong with it. Um, they're not the most crisp and the best wrestlers in the world, but you know that's whatever. I understand it being on pay per view. Is like a, a you know obviously you would expect it to be great <laughs> you know you don't want to put like okay and fine matches on pay per view but I do think that it, it's gotten more hate than it deserves specifically because it's on pay per view uh, but that's not to defend it and say that it was really good but I just think that like if this match was on TV or this match was on dark or something like that I think that there would be people who who are currently acting like it was like somehow like. Um, an abomination of wrestling and it was like comically bad. I'm like, I'm sorry, this was not like Rebel versus uh, Martina, whatever. I can't even think of her name. The the vampire, um, Salinas. But uh, yeah, it wasn't like that level of bad. Um, but yeah, Brian, uh, what did you think of the uh, <laughs> TBS title match here? Better than the ladder match. I liked it. I thought it was fun. I like matches that look like they're falling apart and that like it looks like it's getting a bit dangerous. There was a pile driver in that match that I was like, oh, man. Yeah. I was like sitting there like, Ty Conti, I feel like you shouldn't be doing pile drivers, but <laughs> no. you know what? Mm-mm. Like, you know what? Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. my kind of shit, though. I love, I love matches that, like, okay, it stayed on the rails, but, boy, it's been a lot of time. <laughs> like, the whole time you're sitting there, you're like, fuck, this thing is uh, this thing is really teetering. Uh, it's like in a movie when the car is, like, teetering on the uh, cliff. It, that's what that match felt like. I, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I love Jade. Uh, I did not think – I thought – I didn't think that the two of them would leave that match without an injury. Yeah. Which, hey, that's that's definitely a winner. Like I said, I guess the the – the only negative I can see is, like, don't put something like this on pay-per-view because, oh, it's supposed to be professional and it's a big deal and all that. And I agree with that. But, I mean, listen, Ty Conti's a black belt. She knows how to handle herself. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I just uh, – I- I'm with you in that regard that I thought it was it was fine and I think it's getting hate as if it was, like, like insanely sloppy and bad. And it wasn't. It was – I think it was just inside the lines. Uh, but, yeah, Quentin, what did you think? Um, The match itself was fine. There's nothing – wrong with it really i mean there are a few things i thought was weird like i understand that jade's a heel and jade will do an underhanded thing here and there sometimes but the stuff with anna jay i thought was super weird like the stuff with the chair then um yeah yeah uh like ty like ty seeing jade was coming and pushing anna out the way like we've seen heels do that so i thought i thought it was kind of conflicting messages like yeah jade's a heel so fuck her ty can do this but then also like Huh. Right. So, but well, I, I understood it from a couple of different perspectives. You can say that, like, in order to beat Jade, Ty has to do this kind of stuff. And it gets over the kind of monster that Jade is. But, again, that's, like, usually reserved for heels and shit. 
So I just, I just thought those kind of, those kind of couple spots were weird, but it was fine. Actually, over the weekend, I had an interaction with somebody, and it's someone that like had wasn't wasn't paying attention to wrestling anymore, but they knew who Jade Cargill was. So I thought that was super. I thought that was super interesting, and ultimately, I think Jade has gotten better. For the first time, we, for the first time we saw Jade on TV to now, she's gotten so much better. She carries herself a lot better in the ring. She executes better. She knows what she needs to do when she executes it well. She's yet to have a great match, I would say. Yeah. But Jade has gotten better. But when you talk about like maybe not putting this kind of thing on TV, I think sometimes you have to sacrifice the match quality for like, you know, wrestling is still aesthetic aesthetics driven at the end of the day. Right. And, and this was if an people are gonna match. see. If, if, if people sit there and they see, like, Jay Cargill and she looks like a million bucks, she, like, you know, and, pe- and people that are disillusioned with wrestling see this, like, amazing black woman on television, they're like, oh, shit, who's this? Like, at some point, like, the match quality doesn't really matter. Like, obviously you want Jade to get better, and Jade's gotten better, so it's not to dismiss that point. But at some point, when people first, like, like lay their eyes on Jade, that shit just doesn't even matter at that point because Jade sells herself. Um, without without charismatic and how great her look is, so like as I was watching that match, I'm like, this is fine. This is like, there's nothing wrong with this, but like just being on the pay per view, like make like makes them another star that they wouldn't have otherwise if they just tried to kept her kept her cocooned on rampage or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and I, I also think that. Go ahead. I also think that most people uh, don't know what a good match looks like. <laughs> right. So right. Like, that match was probably just fine to them. You know, there wouldn't be. A huge issue. I mean, my 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 wife takes notice when Jade's on the screen. Like she is just, she's a fucking megastar, and I think she's gonna be great. I think she's gonna be one of the great yes. wrestlers because she's what twenty nine matches, and she's already like not bad at all. You know? Are people saying that Jade Cardgill could be the American Man- Manami Toyota? I don't know. Maybe no one said that before. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, just, like, pun- just, pun- just punch a just punch a flag for listen, it here on the podcast. Listen, I'm just saying. You know, I don't know if anyone else has said that before. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. But you know, sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think the Jade stuff. I get where you're coming from, but I do like the idea that Jade is a tweener. Jade is more of a. Um, she's definitely very cocky, and she's definitely very confident. And the only, but I like the idea that the only reason why she's a heel is because Mark Sterling, right? It's kind of like the Brock Lesnar thing. Like, Brock Lesnar is a heel because Paul Heyman pushes him that way because he's an unscrupulous, you know, advocate manager who, like, wants to, like, you know, he's doing the business dealings and the negativity and that stuff. But realistically, all Jade wants to do is go out there and kick ass. Jade never cheats. Jade never takes shortcuts. Jade is just a fucking phenom. She goes out there and kills people. She's very confident. She may talk. She may say some shit like nobody cares about that karate shit, which is objectively a very cool thing to say. Yeah, like, yeah, straight, like no, like, Jade straight up just says, like, the best shit on television. Yes. yes. Yeah, so, like, to me, I'm like, Jade Jade doesn't have to wrestle like a heel, and, and it doesn't matter what stuff happens to her, because, like, Jade is not, I think Jade is not a heel. I think Jade is confident and, and, and cocky, but her manager is what makes her a heel. So like she could have a different handler or a different person leading her and she could be a baby face. So that's right. why like the, the chair stuff and all that weird, all that shenanigans. I don't like, think like, really like I said, it's not, it's not from Jane. It's just weird from coming from Ty sure, more yeah. so. 
Yeah, I can get that, but Ty, I mean, she's kind of an afterthought in this match. It's weird to say that, but she, I mean, fuck, and then we t- talk they, about Dynamite. Uh, I, mean, they, I mean, you could say that, but they also go out of their way to kind of protect her, too. Right, because she's a ratings be- draw. Be- yeah, yeah. <laughs> objective ratings draw Ty Conti, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but no, like, but, but no, like you said, like, they give her a finish where, oh, she hit her face in the ring post, and like, by wrestling standards, that's a clean win, but it's still kind of like banana peelish enough as to where, like, you're not softening up Taikanti like that so like it still felt like she was protected and still she did the spots with the chair and pushing in out the way so I don't, I don't know like those are my those are my new things compared to the fact that it's like mostly about building Jade up yeah. and having her look better and better but yeah just something stood out to me sure uh so Brian we have to I have to apologize here because with this next match me and Quentin are going to gatekeep on you um we are going to be toxic and we may even mansplain to you uh the history of CM Punk I don't know how uh, how invested you are in this but uh this is a big fucking deal for us um one thing I thought about Quentin and I mentioned it in the past like Punk's connection to the dog collar match and going through Portland and Raven and all that stuff that I said before you know one thing I didn't think about because it was WWE is that when Punk first came into WWE, he seemed to try to bring the dog collar with him into the WWE kind of PG era when he oh, you was mean, doing... Oh, you mean, the, oh, you mean the, stra- the strap match? Yes! He was trying to make his thing be the strap match in WWE. He had the one with, um, oh God, what's his... Brent Albright? And then he had the Samoan strap match with Umaga, which was like Umaga's thing, but it was clearly they were trying to position Punk as being like the strap match guy. And then obviously that match that is really, felt, fu- that match is really that match fucking is good amazing, too. dude. That is one of my favorite, like all time favorite punk in WWE matches. That match is so fucking good. Um, but yeah, like I forgot about that, that punk tried to continue the tradition of the, you know, the dog collar, the strap match into WWE, but they kind of dropped it. Um, but either way, Brian, as I said, I apologize, but Quentin, this is, I think this is the Quentin show. Cause I know ROH <laughs> and ROH punk, this is important for you to talk about. So take over. I mean, just, like, I saw, like, all the, the discourse surrounding this was weird as shit. Um, like, it was, when Excalibur explains to you what's happening on commentary, if, like, if you're not, if you don't care about it, that's fine. But, like, he thoroughly explained what was going on, explained he wore it to another dog collar match, and that's a, that's a significant step. Like, it's, it's a whole bunch of shit. But, for me, like, I, CM Punk's return has just been a reminder of, what WWE did to him and not in like a oh fuck WWE way but it reminds you just in like life like how soul crushing a job can be that even if this is something that you wanted your whole life you idolize Brett you idolize Stone Cold idolize Roddy Piper all these guys that passed through WWE's doors and you wanted to be one of them take your place among that and despite having the massive amount of success to CM Punk did this shit was just like a soul crushing thing to do to go out there Night after night, year after year, month after month. And have to stay there and deal with that soul crushing. It robbed him of a, of a joy that he had, a love that he had for his entire life, which is like the love of wrestling. And seeing him come back and be so great after seven years has not only been remarkable, that someone could be gone for that long and come back relatively rust-free the way Punk has, but he's also just been delivering for me on every note in terms of his return. Um, every big match has been great. The TV stuff has been great. The tag stuff has been great. Promos have been great. Everything here. And I think this was like the ultimate like signifier. Like, no, CM Punk is really back. 
he really loves wrestling again. He loves wrestling so much that he's going to go find an identical pair of shorts or go get an identical pair of shorts made. Go get the go find that same black track jacket. Get get the AFI song cleared. All that stuff in order to bring this story full circle. Like as a punk fan, as someone that like punk missing from wrestling felt like it completely changed wrestling for me. And it was a gap that was missing, a void that was missing, funny enough, until Eddie Kingston popped up on AW programming. And to see this guy come back and just, like, loving wrestling so much again. I don't know, seeing him come back to to, to Miseria Cantare and hearing Je- Jessa Roberts call him the Second City Saint and everything, it was just fucking cool, man. It was just, like, cool as shit to see. It's insane. It's, it's surreal. Brian, what did you think of uh, Punk? And punk being back it's great i love punk i i don't know what i thought when he was coming back i was excited because i like AEW and i thought it was neat that like he was gonna finally come back and he's gonna do it there and and like especially after that wwe backstage thing where it was like oh no he's like open to <laughs> going back there yeah um, but but him coming back and and like cutting pretty good promos, the the MJF feud was great, uh, and his match style I just love. I just I just I I just don't know if anybody does what he does, and he does it so well. Like he is wrestling an old school territory style wrestling, basically, uh, and like people are wrestling his match and. Uh, I don't know, man. You just you you can tell he's having fun, and you can tell he is uh, uh, putting a lot of work into the thing. And uh, this match was so good, so fucking great. He is so good. I can't wait to see him versus uh, Hangman, which I think is you know obviously yeah. what's coming. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, this is insanely cathartic for sure for me. I mean. Punk, yeah, Punk is a, Punk is a guy who's a big part of my wrestling fandom. Um, it's weird because you know I, I I never took time off from wrestling. I've been a big fan of wrestling basically my entire life. I I'm like second, third generation wrestling fan basically, like which is weirdly kind of rare. There's a lot of there's you know at least in in our milieu. There's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who wouldn't say the word milieu, um, who have four and five generations of wrestling fans. But my my grandmother coming from the south um, and introducing me to wrestling when I was, you know, still a child, uh, and really never taking time off. But Punk was one of those guys who, as you talk about, it linked me back to that, and it, it and it it did like remind me of the history of my fandom when I started to get into punk, even early on first seeing him wrestling for Ian and then showing up in ROH and, and, you know, digging up tape and looking for where can I find more of this fucking guy? And with him, you know, the punk vibe, like literally being a punk, like CM Punk. Cause I was like super into punk music and, you know, I was never straight edge, but you know, <laughs> I flirted with it. I had tons of straight edge friends, but I was more of a, you know, I was a beer, I was like a beer punk. I was that kind of guy. Um, but still I respected it and I knew the culture because I had tons of straight edge friends and you know, you had to, you know, go to hardcore shows in churches and had to pretend like you were straight edge to like be part of the scene. Cause you wanted to see the band. So I, I had to know at least something about it. And the same PETA videotape that you saw at the fucking merch table outside of the show every time where they're showing like chickens in cages getting thrown off of trucks and just the most brutal fucking shit. Um, so like, yeah, like punk was like 
this 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 connection between the two and and when people told me punk came out to his old music i got super excited but i was like oh yeah i guess lars you know frederickson would let him use uh olay the bouncing soul song or i fuck i mixed i mixed that up i'm sorry i apologize i was thinking the op ivy song um but either way yeah but uh it's funny because people were saying like oh his original music and i was like if punk actually came out to olay people would think that uh el generico was coming out like that song is with him uh but he comes out to the afi the misery carteria or whatever and like that song is the ultimate fucking intro song that's why it's such a, an amazing wrestling song and it really proves how smart punk is when it comes to everything it's because that song is like not even a song it's two minutes and the song is really an intro to the album so like that's why it's the best wrestling song because it's an intro song it's meant to be an intro song it's not even meant to be like oh this is like a regular song so it builds up and it does all this fucking epic shit and it comes into it and he comes out and it's it's fucking going off and you're just like ah like you're so fucking amped and it 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 again it talks it proves it shows why punk is the fucking man because he gets the pageantry of wrestling he gets the nitty-gritty of wrestling he gets the history of wrestling he gets the gross the blading the fucking brutality but he also gets the part like that you have to be you know people have to like you then there's like there's historically there's wrestlers that like for some reason women just find attractive and like for some reason you find it odd as a wrestling fan because you're like you're you kind of at least for me you know i'm not I'm not 100% straight. I'm like a bisexual guy. I've been in a long-term, like, uh, heterosexual marriage. So, you know, it doesn't really matter, but whatever. But, like, my type of guy are not these guys, but I've always liked them as wrestlers, which is, like, CM Punk and Bret Hart. And there's something about them where, like, they just have, like, an aesthetic appealingness where, like, every woman that you talk to about wrestling, they're, like, they find Bret Hart and they find CM Punk attractive. And there's just something about them where it's, like, guys who are, like, sixes, but for some reason their, like, aura makes them tens. And that's CM Punk. Like, the dude's a six who his entire life has become a ten in every way. Um, and this match was just another example of that. This match went way longer than I thought it should have on paper. And then when it happened, oh my fucking god. CM Punk is the man. CM Punk, looking to build the Wrestler of the Year case for 2022, continuing on down the road. The guy does not miss... Every promo is fucking amazing. Every match is amazing. Everything this guy does is gold. I love CM Punk. Um, I think for me, I like the match. I think it leaves the door open for more. Oh, yes. Though. It feels like, for sure. It feels like something that they deliberately left a little unconclusive so they can revisit it, whether that's going to be this year or something they're going to keep in their back pocket if MJF wins the title or if Punk wins the title, for that matter. Like, we'll see, like it seems like there's something they're going to revisit. But I think that going towards the finish... I would have liked a little bit more comeuppance for MJF. He's he bumped he bumped like crazy. He stole that uh, shot from the ring, insane, and just full on like comedy bump. Absolutely died from that ring shot. But otherwise, and he and he gets color and he gets color too. But compared to how much Punk bled, MJF's color kind of disappointed me a little bit. Just expecting a little bit more from that. I like the theme continuing of whenever they're in the ring together. MJF always begs off of Punk. He can do all this stuff and talk all this shit and attack him, do whatever. But the reality of like when they're in the ring together, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a, like a respect in which he doesn't really want to fight Punk that way. I don't know if he's scared of Punk. Whatever you want to interpret it as, either way, he begs off of Punk a lot when they wrestle. So yeah. I like that. I like the fact that the dog collar limits that, the violence, the blade job, everything about it. But I like the first match more. I'll say that. The first match might be my match of the year. 
So it's, that's not even like an insult for it, ne- insult for it necessarily. But while how good it was, I think that the crowd didn't really know to react to it, which isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes people are like really into fireworks or whatever. And I think that this particular story, you could argue that they just wanted to watch and see what happened. But I don't know. It seemed like the crowd was kind of confused on how to react to this match. And it feels like they left some more some stuff on the table. So it was good. It's really good. CM Punk continues to be amazing. MJF, I think, continues to deliver in his big spots. But I don't know. Like, it still left me like, all right, they have, like, something better still with them, I think. Yeah. I think... Um... I think I heard this from Chris Wade, um, who's another one of my one of my favorite podcasters out there. But it's like every story is either about like finding your dad or fighting your dad, and the MJF Punk story is definitely about MJF trying to fight his dad. Um, so yeah, that's like part of that thing where he's like, he, when he's in the ring with him, it's like there's something about that where like you're just no matter where you are, you're still like kind of scared of him because in your head he's bigger than he is, you know. And so yeah, he just he can't uh, he can't stand up to him. Um, but, uh, follow this up, <laughs> follow this up. And I think I uh, hear a lot of people saying this is like the death, the death spot. And it kind of was honestly, they probably should have put the ladder match right here instead of, I'll, uh, I'll say, I'll say this in defense of it. Like my bad, but you're getting, getting into Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. Everyone knows where but, I'm going. Yeah. I think that's fucking insane because you look at that, because you look at Punk versus MJF, you can't act like people were, were that's where that into it in terms of reaction up until Wardlow's thing up right. until that which is an ama- which was an amazing angle and we didn't touch on that but it was like an amazing angle and a great cap off to that and we're gonna spin off to an MJF Wardlow story probably but like other than that I can't really say that the crowd was super hot for MJF versus CM Punk so like I think saying that about Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker being in a death spot is like complete bullshit like they just didn't have a match as good as their first match right which I was not going to happen. That match was lightning in a bottle. It was a very special, fluky kind of situation. Um, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, versus Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's title. Um, I'll definitely say that, again, this match is too long. Much like pretty much every match on the show. Brian, what did you think of this? I don't think it was bad. I mean, they didn't have the same kind of match as Punk and MJF. Um, and what I will say is... They got to stop running Florida for a while. I think that's really what goes on is like, I mean, these people have, they're burning out, like both companies are are burning out markets, I think. And Florida's one of those places where it's like, Jesus Christ, like, it, the crowds haven't been hot there ever, really. Any of the times that they've gone there, even the, the Daly's Place crowd wasn't, super hot so i don't know i thought it was a bad crowd too uh i thought the match was fine i thought it was very weird not to go with a stipulation match i get what they were doing and uh i won money on it so i liked it (laughs) hell yes i love it i love to hear an impartial review um quentin what did you think it's it's fine it's good i can't act like i can't act like it's a bad match i feel like People, like you said, that match is a lightning in a bottle instance. Yeah. Britt Baker has gotten better and more comfortable in the ring. People really like Thunder Rosa. That match was never, it just wasn't going to happen. Like, it's really like a once in a while instance that for some reason these two wrestlers hit at the perfect time and had a perfect match that people were interested in. 
and it's a great moment. It was a great, much-needed boost for Britt Baker, but this was never going to meet people's expectations of it, I don't think. It just just wasn't going to. And for what it was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine, solid match. They didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing bad with it. I think they might not have really engaged the crowd well. I think that... You know, we're starting to see that a lot of a lot of Britt Baker matches don't really seem to engage the crowd a ton. Um, the false finish uh, with the belt, I thought, uh, I thought I thought was good, and that got, that got the crowd in their feet a little bit. But otherwise, a lot of these Britt Baker matches don't really get the crowd in them. Um, and like I said, I don't think this was a deaf spot here. I think that you could talk about like putting Britt Baker on after like the Young Bucks versus Lucha Bros or some shit, and like that's a fair point. In, the, in, the, in, a, in an instance like that. Here where, yeah, CM Punk versus MJF is like the big selling point of the pay-per-view in a lot of ways. I just don't think that that match even got that much of a, re- of a reaction, to be honest with you, to even call it a death spot. I think that people just weren't interested in it and the match didn't grab them. Right. I mean, what's fair to say is that the, the, the show is being run in a death zone. The, like what Brian was saying, the crowd is not hot. The Florida crowd is bad. And luckily... AEW will be getting out of uh, out of running out of those fucking tired markets when I buy tickets tomorrow for the AEW shows here in LA. Um, I'm very excited for that uh, to go to Dynamite. I'm literally I I literally requested a long weekend so I can go to AEW um, on the Wednesday and and hopefully Friday too. We'll see. Um, but uh, but yeah, like it was tough. But here's the thing: like you're saying, like Britt has gotten more confident. But like think back. This is a crazy thing to think about. But like all in the big pay-per-view that started AEW and all this. Like, in that four-way women's match, like, Britt Baker was maybe the third highest, like, that's gonna be a star kind of person. Right? Like, Madison Rain was in the match, so I guess she'd be the lowest just because she's older, but even still, I honestly would think, like, I think you could make a star out of Madison Rain before I would have thought of Britt Baker at that point. But, like, Chelsea Green, I would have thought of as being a star before Britt Baker, and she kind of is, but, you know, in GCW and and Impact. And then Tessa Blanchard. Tessa Blanchard felt like the can't-miss top prospect at the time, and Britt was, like, the third choice from the four-way women's match that they did on the first big pay-per-view. And then now... Or even even if you think back to that time period, someone like Santana Garrett, who was, like, in and out of developmental and stuff like that. Like, Santana Garrett, like, whatever you want to say about her, like, people, like, bought into her hype. For right. a while, Britt yeah. Baker was just like, "Oh, like Britt Baker's cool, and maybe she'll be good one day." But at the time, she was definitely not viewed as someone that was gonna be like, like that. Right. And now she is. Now she's the top of the division, the huge star. She cuts great promos. And here's the thing: just like Jade, just like Ty Conti, just like most of the women's division, which is unfortunate in AEW, she's a star. She's over. The crowd is into it, and then her matches aren't that great. Thunder Rosa is actually a pretty solid wrestler, but, like, she's kind of... God, I hate to even say this out loud on the podcast, but, like, I uh, feel like Thunder yeah, Rosa is yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah, small room wrestler. And not yeah. necessarily, like, meant for this. There's a, there's a reason why she, why she translates better on, like, NWA shows yes. with 60 people in them. Yes. Versus this. Yeah. I just, I hate to say that, and that big match that became, like, lauded as the match of the year and got all of these fucking accolades was lightning in a bottle, and it was a really special situation, and you're not going to ever be able to repeat that, and it's just, you have to accept that. I like Thunder Rosa. I like her style. I think that when she works on the mat doing technical stuff, 
I'm like in in love with it. I think that she should be on like blood sports. She should be doing fucking shoot style matches with Masha Slamovich and and Marina Shafir and stuff like that. Like and J- Janaya Kai. Like I'd be into that, but. I'm not a big... I don't think that she's, like, an AEW superstar. I don't think that she's, like, a top-level, like, main event in front of, like, 10,000 people kind of person. And Britt Baker is kind of there, but not in ring. So, yeah, I just... I don't I don't think that uh, that it was, it was that. Um, follow this up. I don't know. Match of the night, Quentin? What do you think? Match of the night? John Moxley versus Brian Danielson? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for 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 me, I can I can definitely see a case for Punk versus MJF for sure. But for me, oh yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is fucking great. <laughs> like I don't like I really I don't like it's like you go in like go ahead. I think you're gonna toss off. No, I was just gonna say the fucking goat, the greatest of all time, is out here and he's continuing to be the best wrestler in the entire world and literally the best wrestler who's ever lived. Yeah, and then John Moxley, who's also a pretty cool guy, is there yes. too. Like you know, just just casually, it's like you know, this match is like it's cool. Like the the build for this is super interesting. Like the concept for it is interesting, and like I think they even take those ideas and like, um, and and, and use them here like really really well. But you go into this card and you're like, wow, like Brian Danielson versus John Moxley on this is on this card, and it's like not that important. And like at least you feel that way. But then they actually go out there and have the match. You're know, like, oh yeah, well, like, why would I doubt Brian Danielson and John Moxley having an amazing, ma- having an amazing match together, just because they weren't the primary focus? It almost like kind of snuck up on me. It was like took for granted, I almost took for granted that Brian Danielson versus John Moxley was happening. And then once they actually get in, get into it, and they're tying up all aggressively, and they're kicking the shit out of each other, and there's and there's and there's and there's blood. I don't know if Moxley bladed or if he got 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 got, got cut open hardly with the headbutts, whatever. Like. He's blood all over him. Brian is spearing himself in Moxley's blood, and they're just killing the shit out of each other. And it's great, and it's awesome. And you're like, oh yeah, like why would I not predict this to be the match of the night when it has the two when it has these two amazing wrestlers in it? So I loved it. I loved the ideas. I loved the competitiveness. I loved that it felt it was violent, but it wasn't like a hateful kind of thing. It was like two guys who like to go out there and wrestle, wrestling, and someone just happened to get get a little bit more hurt. But it wasn't like this, ah, I fucking hate your guts kind of thing. It was like two like like bros on the wrestling team like getting a little extra during during the during the sparring. It felt like they get they got they got a little carried away, and then their dad had to come in and break it up. <laughs> exactly. It felt like exactly that. Like it was it was they went a little a little bit far. But it's also two guys who like going a little bit too far. And if Moxley's was hard way, that's like the best hard way blood I've ever seen. Um, no, Brian, what did you think of this? And do you agree this is match of the night, or, 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 or are we off base here? I don't think you're off base. It's a, It was a great match. It's probably not my match of the night, but uh, I I did like it a lot, and I love the finish. And I'm pretty excited about the uh, – I'm pretty excited about the tag team. Uh, I don't know if I'm that excited about Regal coming in, but whatever. I mean, that's just a, a taste kind of thing for me. Uh, cause I hated NXT and <laughs> also, uh, you know, he That's had fair. a hand, he had a hand in, you know, dismantling a lot of indie scenes. Oh, 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 look, tre- look, trust oh, over here. We've, 
we did we we prop we properly scold like scolded anyone oh, that yeah. was like oh boo hoo oh oh, oh boo yeah. hoo William Regal got fired like we scold we scolded them properly <laughs> yeah and then bringing them in here it's just like uh he's got NXT stink all over him I guess but like yeah it was a great match I love the way it ended and I'm excited for this tag team yeah this is this is brutality all around uh they. I loved the way that they like mixed in each other's styles. They did such a good job of that. Like Brian is is locking in cross faces, you know, the label lock, but he's also like hitting fucking cross face like you know strikes and digging at the cut and pulling on his nose like so he's not just being like clean technical wrestler brian he's also being aggressive violent brawler and then moxley is also throwing in some like some of his mma like grappling style like uh kind of you know the bulldog choke and and some other like grappling stuff on the mat as well so they're both showing like you know, oh yeah, you know, Moxley's the deathmatch guy. Moxley's the guy who took the Sawzall spot. Which I think, you know what's fucking crazy? Is there was a time period where Moxley was the Sawzall spot guy. Do you remember that, Quentin? Do you remember when, mm-hmm. like, that was his claim to fame? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now he's this. Like, it's nuts to think about that. Like, I remember the shoot interview where, like, the big question was, how did you work the Sawzall? And he explained, you know, he didn't even explain it, but he's, you know, he's being Moxley. But he's like, whatever. But, like, that was the big thing. How did you work the Sawzall? You know? But no, man, fuck that. Like, now he's one of the biggest fucking stars in all of wrestling. To the point where people forget that he is fucking CZW, Switchblade Conspiracy Moxley. He is down in the dirt fucking Moxley. Like, people think of Moxley as a WWE superstar. Like, this motherfucker. When, when, I, see, when I see Moxley, I still think of, like, the little, tw- like, the 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid. Yeah. But, like, I remember seeing him as before he went to FCW and then, like, going to FCW where I fell in love with him or whatever. It's like, like, when I see him, I still think of that, like, skinny fuck, skinny skinny kid with long hair. I still, like, I, yeah. That's how I always see him. So to see this guy and, like, how good he's gotten and, like, the fact that he doesn't have to do the deathmatch shit, like, he can sit there and do something like this where it's gritty and bloody or whatever, but, like, a completely different style of match. It's like, man, like, I would just would have never expected it. Yeah, he no, was. Yeah, it, uh, okay, go, go. I ahead. was at Double or Nothing when he debuted, and it's the loudest I've ever heard a room ever get. And I was also at like All In, the first All Out, and uh, uh, I went to all the AEW first like six AEW pay per views live. And like the loudest I've ever heard a room get is when Mox showed up uh in in at the mgm grand and uh uh, that's what i think of now uh i didn't even get into him until you know he was already dean ambrose he was my daughter's favorite wrestler when she was a kid yes and uh, it was it was he's just he's so fucking good now he's so fun to watch and uh so glad he got out of that fucking company so glad but uh Yeah, yeah i love this Sorry, I, I keep interrupting you, but I just I love you saying that because I, I that has been like the biggest thing that I've talked about in, on on podcasts and in general is that Moxley speaks to an audience of, of wrestling fans who are not normally wrestling fans. And like your daughter yeah. being like, Moxley is my guy. Like, of course, of course he is. Yeah. 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 She loved him. I yeah. uh, still checks on him on Instagram to see his baby and stuff at, at even now. And she doesn't watch any wrestling. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, you know what I thought of? And thank you for bringing that up because this was a joke that crossed my mind. And I was like, I don't know how ever I'll work this in. But uh, he should call his baby smallpox or smallmox. 
small Maybe monsters. he does. <laughs> he should. He I he but, feels like no. the kind of guy who would, you know? Like I, I, if, he, if 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 the baby gets introduced to AEW canon, it has to be small mocks. Yeah, small mocks. Um, but yeah, either way, yeah, totally agree. Oh, follow this up. We have the trios match. Uh, oh wait, oh wait, oh wait, hold on, oh wait, hold on, real quick. Please. What did you guys think of uh, the Regal promo on uh, on Dynamite? I know that Brian, you said that you're not a big fan of Regal, like in like I for thought, various different reasons. But this is different than his NXT characters. I thought it was so, good. Like, I actually okay, thought yeah. that promo was really good. Yeah, I I, I loved it. I think. It was interesting seeing him apologize for going long and then also seeing like really stupid people online responding to him being like, no, you should talk all night. You should never yeah. stop talking. We all love you. And I'm just like, bro, he's not apologizing to you. He's apologizing to the people yeah. who got their matches cut because of his promo. Yeah. Yeah. Or the AHFO, I think, is really what got cut there. Yeah. Well, short. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I definitely am a big fan of, of Regal. And I get where Brian's coming from with his issues with Regal. I'm a big fan of Regal from like the concepts of Regal, the ideas, the things that he said. Other than, as I've called out because people overlook this, other than like the fact that Regal was also sitting there with Fit Finley saying that Zack Sabre Jr. is, is you know, a fag. You know, like other than that... Um, I think that I've always liked Regal, but I think he gets a pass for that, and people forget that kind of stuff about him. Um, but yeah, like uh, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Regal historically and his his psychology. I will say his mind for wrestling. I'm a fan of. Um, either way, follow this up with the trios, tornado trios. The only thing I wanted to call out, and I and I think I posted this online, Quentin. But did you notice that Andrade picked? Uh, I think he picked up Darby. And he started running towards the fucking ring barricade in the um, in the front chancery lift like a vertical suplex hold. Yeah. And I thought he was about to hit the fucking brainbuster in the corner style, uh, real life Ben Affleck. I was like, oh my god, he's gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying like, what the fuck is he about to do to him? Like, this seems like it's about to get like really dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> when he was doing that, I I legitimately that was the only thing I thought about, which I can't even remember that guy's fucking name, but he was a. He's a pretty solid wrestler. He had a really good. Oh, you're talking, about, you're, talking about Alex, you're talking about Alex Daniels. Yes, Alex Daniels, the real life Ben Affleck. When he would do the fucking corner uh, uh, brainbuster, yeah. I was like, oh my god, he's gonna do it on the fucking t- on the on the floor. But yeah, Sting, obviously amazing. But uh, this feels like a Brian match. Brian, this feels like your this, your bread and butter. Please go off. My match of the night, baby. That was my yes. match oh, yeah. of the here, night. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, Sting is so beast. I love Sting so fucking much, and like. The, what he's doing now is so fucking cool to me. Just one big spot. He looks like he's having the best time. He's jumping through fucking tables. He's so goddamn cool. And then also <laughs> another guy that I love in this match was Jose, the assistant, taking an insane fucking bump, too, which I thought was fucking great. I just and Sammy took an insane bump. That's just three people. It was just like spot after spot of like insane things and just guys that I like, you know, like I, I, I like everybody in this match. I actually think is great. But you know what? Sting makes me so fucking happy. I, I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of Sting. And I am so happy to see him uh, like land at a place that like respects him and treats him well after that you know, shitty WWE run he had. Uh, it's just feels so good to see how he's being used now and how, how fucking cool he is. Like, 
even though he's like pretty uncool. Like when he said mucho respecto that one time, I when loved he, when it. he when he when he talks, you realize like, oh yeah, like he's like actually like a really like corny dad. Yeah. But then he just gets to go out there and jump through tables and you're like, oh man, fuck yeah, sting rules. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking sixty. <laughs> of course he's gonna say stuff like mucho respecto i'm just i i that that was my match of the night and i know people listening to the show are probably like oh this guy's got a uh, really weird taste in wrestling and they're right i do i have really fucking weird taste in wrestling i lean more on like i don't work rate is cool and it's really fun for me to see but what I more like the like carny sleaze sort of aspect of wrestling, and I like like big gimmicks and shit like that, or like uh, uh you know, I like spot fest, and and I just think like a sixty one year old man jumping through a table. That's what I love about yes. pro wrestling. That's exactly oh. what I love. Oh hell yeah! This network is built on the backs of that kind of shit. Like that's the point of this. Like. Sam, of course, like, you know, Sam, the, uh, the, the owner and proprietor of the podcast network, he's like a Black Terry mark, right? The whole point of Black Terry is that this motherfucker is in his fucking 70s and he's still out here having hardcore dirt brawls in fucking back lots, you know? Like, when you see a dude who's in his 60s and he jumps off of a fucking balcony through, like, four tables, that shit fucking rocks. And, again, talking about my history, but when it's fucking Sting and the first, my... My oldest wrestling memory is my grandma telling me that Sting, while we're watching like Jim Crockett promotions wrestling, like that Stinger, he's got quite the caboose, is what my grandma said to me. <laughs> and that's my oldest wrestling memory. Like, yeah, of course I fucking love Sting. You know, I was bred to love Sting. Like, I cannot not love Sting. So seeing him come out here, and at this point in his 60s, he's doing this kind of shit. Yeah, I'm into it. Uh, hey Quentin, Sam, you want to feel old? Want to feel want to feel old real quick? Yes. So, obviously, you're like you like you realize that like when WCW got bought out by WWE, Sting didn't come over, so we didn't really see Sting for a while. He went over to TNA <laughs> and uh, was there was there early, inconsistently or whatever. But when I first started watching TNA in 2005, that's when I first saw Sting, and I've heard of it, and I heard his name before, and like oh like oh Sting, he's the guy that, like, Ric Flair, like, had matches with, and he was, like, facing the NWO and stuff. He had the black face paint. Like, I saw Sting in video games and shit. So, I'm like, I have a va- I had a vague memory of who Sting was. But even in TNA, when they brought him in for, the, for that first while, Sting, even in 2005, felt like the biggest deal and the coolest fucking dude on Earth. And it's, like, so wild to think about, like, when your first exposure to Sting probably was to when mine is, and, like, either way, we're having the same reaction. Like, oh, yeah, this guy kicks ass. There is nobody in WWE that I like more than Sting right now. Like, just right now. <laughs> yeah. And oh, honestly, yeah. there is nobody in WWE that's more over than Sting is right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. For sure. True. Oh, yeah. No, Sting is a bigger star than uh, Seth Rollins. <laughs> I'm checking notes. Uh, the tribal Kevin chief. Owens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Sting's way bigger at 61, and he's having great matches, and he's better than Brock Lesnar 
actually. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> that is true. That's a true facts have been stated tonight. We're dropping them. Um, yeah, but yeah, Brian, this is the thing. Like, this is when we talk about like work rate, we're work rate nerds or whatever, but we also like the retarded. I shouldn't say that word. I'm sorry. I've done this in the past. We like the really dumb, ridiculous stuff as well. Um, but yeah, like when it comes to work rate, like I want to see like shoot style MMA back stuff. And if you're not that good, then give me bleeding like an idiot and jumping off of a fucking uh, a balcony. You know, if you can't match hold for hold with Brian Danielson or Timothy Thatcher or Daniel Makabe, don't try. <laughs> Just do something dumb. And then we kind of got that with the champion here in the next match. Uh, because Hangman Adam Page, I love him. I love this guy. I think he's the best champion going right now in wrestling. And that, and Quentin, you know that's a big marker for me because when you're the best champion in wrestling, you end up really high on my wrestler of the year list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you think he's the best champion in wrestling, he for, for you he might want to be like the best wrestler of the year. Kind yes, of thing. that's that is that can be in the conversation because. This match, and then we'll talk about it on Dynamite, his match that he has on Dynamite after this, really shows his versatility and this, like, this is the guy-ness of Adam Page right now. This is the man. The Florida crowd sucks shit, and Brian already called him out for it, so thank you for that, for setting me up. Because this match, in front of a good crowd, would have gone fucking ham. The crowd would have gone nuts, they would have been into it, and they would have, like, killed themselves for this shit. But... Adam Page goes out here and he fucking murders it. And the thing about Adam Page is when you talk about selling being important, I'm sorry, but Adam Page is as good of a seller as people that we, me and you, Quentin, have lauded for years, like Tomohiro yeah. Ishii, Timothy Thatcher, people who can sell while being on offense, people who can be aggressive, people who can be violent while also selling. Adam Page is in that echelon of people adam page is right now one of the best wrestlers going this guy feels like the pinnacle of the company this guy is the perfect fucking fit he he, when you look up the word aew wrestler in the dictionary you see adam page this guy fits this vibe perfectly i have not seen a better situation than this since like trevor lee in cwf when it comes to, like, this company is meant for this guy to be their champion. He can deliver epically. He can sell. He can get you fucking invested. His social media game is on point to where the crowds like him for that. Like, he's connected to everyone. He's not... And this is the weird thing. Like, people talk about the Dark Order stuff, and it's, like, muddled and all this. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, you're so mixed up. You're not understanding what's going on. He's not in the Dark Order. He's never been. He's not in the Elite. He left. Like... That's the point. This guy bridges the gap. He's connected to everyone. He's part of everything. He's the straw that that stirs the drink. There's no one who's more pivotal to AEW than Adam Page. And that's why he's the champion. He is the fucking man. I, I am willing to say that Adam Page right now is probably the best AEW champion outside of Jon Moxley. Jon Moxley is probably the best champion that they've ever had. Adam Page is number two. This guy is fucking amazing. And this champ, his reign has, is very short, but within this very short reign that he's had, he is everything that this company needs right now for a champion. He fits every fucking part of the business. He ticks every box. 
I love Adam Page. This match was phenomenal. The back and forth. He's there for everything. He's crisp. Nothing he does looks like out of place. But at the same time, he's constantly selling. He's constantly getting you invested in it. And then also everything he does looks legit. He hits harder. He hits stronger. He can move. He can... Yeah. I fucking love Adam Page. I'm sorry. I am so caught up in my fervor for Adam Page. I don't even know who to throw to. Whoever wants to talk, you feel go, free you, to talk. You, you go to Brian. <laughs> I love him. I, I actually... I thought this match was pretty good. And uh, w- with a different audience, this would have been like... This would have been a match of the night. And I think, you know, you were... T- you were the, the way you were talking there just... It strikes me that, like, I... I, I listen to all these podcasters and they're all like, it's just an underwhelming run. He doesn't seem important. And it's like, he hasn't had a bad match yet at all. Like every match has been like great, not just good. He's had fucking all great matches. So I'm a fan. I, I like Adam Page. And I, you know, I wasn't even like an Adam Cole guy until you know recently i've discovered like ah he's not bad man he's 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 like maybe not like my kind of guy but i don't think he's a bad wrestler and his matches are fun so yeah good match i loved it i think it's insane to say that this would be bad like that his reign has been bad in any way like you said anyone who says that like i like i don't like i don't know what you want from him i like like what exactly do you want him to do do you want him wrestling on tv every single week because that's not what champions do do you want him to talk like john moxley no he's hangman page he has his own character the complaint uh, uh, the complaint seems to be that the show doesn't feel like it is about hangman but it's like well it's not it's about like all kinds of different people. It's there's it's, like a full. And, and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. It's not a crime to. And it's not a crime. It shouldn't be a crime to be less charismatic than CM Punk or John Moxley. Yeah. Like, like we're yeah. talking about some of the most charismatic wrestlers ever. It's like, hey man, like sometimes there are people that are like, maybe like cooler or maybe just as cool. And like Hangman has his own kind of charisma. His story is really revolved around like you being invested in kind of like this alcoholic depressed anxious cowboy like if you're not into that you might not be into this promo style he's kind of laid back and subdued but cm punk and moxley have that kind of aura that we already talked about tonight with their matches it's like yeah i'm sorry he's not as charismatic as cm punk and john moxley but that like 99 percent of wrestlers are guilty of that <laughs> right well here's the thing you can say that and brian i know that you're not saying it you're just like kind of steel manning the argument for it but or even just saying it like that it exists but it doesn't fucking matter that it doesn't feel like it's the hangman page show because when hangman page comes out when hangman page is in the ring it's not that the whole show is about him but what the show is about is that hangman page will kick every ass in the company and that's the aura Mm -hmm. and that's the vibe from hangman page that i get is that I don't, it doesn't matter that Brian Danielson, you know, is the best technical wrestler, the best wrestler who's ever lived. It doesn't matter that, you know, CM Punk is the most engaging wrestler and you're like so into him. It doesn't matter that, you know, MJF is so amazing on the mic and he's this great heel. All that it comes down to is Adam Page will kick all of their asses. And that's why he's the champion. So it's not about like, oh, you know, it's the, it's the Adam Page show. No, no, no. It's the Hangman Page show because Hangman Page is going to kick their ass. And when it comes down to it, you get in the ring with him and he will kick your ass. 
and that's the point. That's why he's the champion. So yeah, that's why. Like that argument is fucking weird to me because I'm just like, no. The point of the, the the point of him being the champion is he's gonna kick everybody's ass, and he does, and he's proved it over and over again. But Quentin, I don't know if you even talked about the match at this point. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I liked it. Like I said, like I, me and you, me and you said when previewing the show. Hang, hang, Hangman and Cole are gonna have a go, go out there and have a really good match. I, I'm not gonna sit there and act like I'm like the biggest Adam Cole fan in the world, but I've seen him have go out there and have enough really good matches in certain ways that I'm like, okay, so I feel like some people kind of undersell a good of a wrestler he is sometimes. Like people always associate Adam Cole with gimmick matches, and he's great in gimmick matches. Like we've seen him do it countless times. He's great at it, but I've also seen him go out there against guys like Chris Hero, Jenny Gargano. Uh, and, other, and others you just go out there and like not have to rely on that and just having good straight up matches that like might be a little bit work ready might be a little bit of nerd bait leg limb selling arm selling all that kind of stuff and gets and, get, and gets into that kind of territory but still like I, I think Adam Cole has that um, has that that he can uh, that he can dive into when necessary and I thought that he did that here I thought he had a really good performance but I thought hangman uh and like you mentioned, staying on staying on offense while selling, Hangman has gotten really good at that. So as he's sitting there, going, getting his comebacks off, his Orihara moonsault, and continuously going back to his, going back to his leg and things like that. Like, I think that's Hangman really finding himself as this kind of like ace like figure. I feel like more than anyone in AEW so far that's been the champion, he like I guess you could argue that for Moxley, but Hangman feels most like an ace so far. And I think that he's like carried that weight in his matches in a way that it, it feels like that. It feels important. It feels like all these things are on the line here. And I wish the crowd was more into it. I, I had a feeling that like it, it would it would be this way. But the match is the match is good to me. Um, I it looks like they're gonna follow this up, which I'm not mad at at all. I'm not mad at I'm not mad at another Hangman and. Cole title match if that winds up being on Dynamite or whatever the fuck I'm into it and it'll probably be better honestly because the crowd will probably be more into it but I thought I liked it and I thought it was good yeah I thought it was great um do you guys want to run through Dynamite real quick just hit the high spots and head out sure yeah all right um so we open up and they do Adam Page Dante Martin I love this booking I love this match honestly I will say that I really enjoyed this match oh I guess I should talk about the the, the opening show the segment um, the, the the Jericho Kingston stuff. Um, Loved it. I the Jericho Appreciation yeah. Society is my new favorite faction name. Yes, that's so it's so fucking it's so fucking bad. Like it <laughs> rules. It rules everything about this Jericho character. Fucking rules. Calling himself a sports entertainer. Yeah. Fucking. Saying uh, uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society, bringing back GFY, calling himself the influencer. He's just on another yeah. fucking level. Like, 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 unironically like, un- un- saying GFY yeah. too. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Being like, oh, man, this is such this is such a fucking burn. Once I like, wait, bust this out like GFY guy. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, OK. Yes. And the hair, you know, even the hair, because he got his hair styled in between. And it's like it's darker brown with some highlights. And even that, like, really works with this character for some reason. Like, it's yeah. Um, One thing I have to call out, you know, what? I, I think about this 
somewhat like, oh, I shouldn't do this stuff, but I do it I, and constantly do it. I called out Dave Meltzer when I was with Pete. Quentin, did you listen to the episode I just did with Pete last week? By any chance? No, I didn't get a chance to. Yeah, you know, no. don't listen to it. It's bad. I don't I don't listen to this podcast either. Um, But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we were talking about Dave, and I just called out Dave Meltzer for being like a fucking idiot because his taste is really bad. And uh, he was like reviewing this fucking segment, and like he's giving the story like, you know, oh, you know, the reason why Jericho, he sells really big instantly when they come out because his neck, you know, the story is his neck is really bad and this and that. And it's like... I'm just like, motherfucker, you're doing the, like, you're just getting told the story and you just regurgitate it back to us without, like, watching it. And I've talked about this with commentary a lot of times in wrestling where I say, like, I fucking, the worst, the, the worst thing you can do in commentary is you tell me a story that's not happening in the ring. That is where you lose all credibility to me as a commentator. When you're telling me a story and I'm not seeing it, then you're just lying to me. And when Meltzer, who's supposed to be a fucking journalist, is telling me the story, but then I watch it happen, and Jericho does crumple really quickly, but the other motherfuckers come back to him and they kick him when he's in the corner. <laughs> so while he's selling, like, the idea, like, oh, they left him alone, because it was, like, it was a work, and, he, and they, they actually weren't attacking him, so they come out and he just lays in the corner before he gets hit, and he, he's holding his neck. But then they're kicking him in the corner! So, like, that story goes out the fucking window! And it's just that, like, Jericho got on the phone with Meltzer and was like, hey, did you notice the way that I was doing that? I did, I'm, we're not bad. We're not dumb. We don't do stupid things that don't make sense. It was smart. And it's just like, you're telling me the story that you're getting fed by the fucking wrestlers because you're a mark. And this is supposed to be the journal. Like, again, and the reason why I said, like, I am more than willing to continue doing this is because we got Brian on the show. And this is kind of like uh, the, the street fight Chapo thing where you, like, talk about news you talk about articles you you cap on the people who are supposed to be uh like uh you know objective telling stories and they're just feeding you bullshit and Meltzer feeds us all bullshit we're supposed to think Jericho is this amazing smart fucking thing but like dude you did not deliver on that the character everything else is going on is great but don't don't feed me fucking lies so yeah we can move on from this segment because we all enjoyed the segment my problem was He's, he's gonna he's gonna prop up his friends. Yeah, like, that's just how it is. Yeah, he's been fine. friends with them for like thirty years. He's gonna he's gonna prop up his friends. He's gonna lie because people lie about how, lie about how cool their friends are. Right. That's he's fine. also a truly in, insane and interesting guy to me. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> yes. I listen to every Observer Radio because I think Dave is truly one of the weirdest dudes in the world. He yeah. yeah it, it's I guess to the point like I'm not someone where like I can like like sometimes bad stuff is funny, but I'm not like. Oh yeah, like I just like love like cringe content. Just like ugh, I can't fucking do it. Like Dave is cringe content for me, so like yeah. I can't do it because like when the when the random when a random audio clip finds its way on the Twitter and it's just Dave rambling trying to find the perfect way to say something for fifty seconds. I'm like, oh yeah, I can't I can't imagine <laughs> doing this for like a whole hour and a half. Oh yeah. God, when Brian Alvarez will say like, yeah, I, I, you know this match was great, and then throws to Dave and Dave goes like. It was good. I don't know if it was great. Or he would say, it, like, he he puts these, like, huge differences between good and great, where a lot of people just say good or great, like, interchangeably. Yeah. I guess what I, I do, I'll say a match was good. I don't mean, you know, I also think it's psycho to star rate matches. I'm sorry if you guys do that. I just think it's psycho. <laughs> I, I, I do. Any, like, it's just like, I don't, like, if anyone thinks it's like a weird thing, it's like a... Okay. Of course. Like, yeah. Of course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We know, you know that I mean? it's some, people, some people like I 
I can talk like no, like I hope we keep. I keep a, at least for me. I keep. I can keep a. I keep a spreadsheet of like the matches I've watched in a star ratings next to it. I understand that that is like not normal behavior when <laughs> right. watching anything. Yeah, you know, people do that for movies, and that's like a two-hour movie. We do it for like ten-minute matches, and we watch thousands of them. At the end of the year, we have like a spreadsheet that has thousands of matches with star ratings. So yes, I know that that's psycho behavior. Um, but yeah, uh, and believe me, I have my own psycho behaviors. Sure, you sure. Know. You have. Legos. You listen to my shows. <laughs> yes, but uh, we, have a, we have we have a, we have a fr- we have a friend that fucking like star rates roller coasters. I'm not going to put his name <laughs> sure out there, do. but we have a we have a friend that like frequents like amusement parks or whatever that has like a spreadsheet of roller coasters and he star rates them like that's actually like crazy behavior yeah the worst uh the worst trick the devil ever played was uh convincing people that autism is a thing um because everyone is just on the spectrum you know like yeah uh follow this up with the title match and uh this was another dave Meltzer thing Uh, brian you say you listen to Meltzer. did you listen to Meltzer from the morning this morning yeah, it was fucking one of the best episodes yeah. of uh, Observer because they just got in a huge long fight that was really About funny. About ma- match announcements and when you should do them. And yep, <laughs> this was the, okay. So this was the thing that, that I wanted sound, to that do. sounds that, this is Dave and Brian. Yes. This sounds like the most Dave and Brian oh, shit yeah. ever. It's like oh, twenty yeah. minutes though, and they were like legit <laughs> getting mad at each other. About when you should announce <laughs> matches, and and the funniest thing is Dave's argument was like, no, they did the numbers. These actually, this is actually the best way to announce matches. And Brian's like, how do how do you know they didn't do it the other way? Yes, so exactly. Like, all you have is this. So Brian's like a hundred percent right. Yes, but it's so funny to hear Dave's just dug in. Like, no, people did the math. People look up the numbers, and yeah. you know. And this it is works. the best way to and announce it's proven, matches. The best part was when Dave got condescending with Brian. He was like, listen, you can't get stuck in it. When they prove that it works, you have to just go with it. And yes. he's like, you're stuck in the past. And it was just like, motherfucker, what are you talking? It's not, it's not proven. And this was the thing that popped into my head during the argument where I was like, how are you just letting this go? Is that your proof that this works is modern day WWE where they are hemorrhaging viewers. Like they are losing viewers every week. And you're saying like, well, they've proved that this worked in WWE where they cannot keep their ratings up. Their ratings continuously drop and they proved that this works. So obviously this is what works. It's like, okay, in the history of wrestling, when you used to announce title matches months in advance and, like, build the crowds and they would show up and you would get higher attendance based on big matches, for decades that worked. But now, in the current time period, as WWE's business is failing, they've proven that you announce a match within two hours of it happening and then that works. Like, I was just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? It was the most amazing thing ever. I don't think this also needed a big build or anything. It no. was just really a match to yeah. get Dante back into the tag scene uh, to like kind of cap off his um, yes. his singles run and put him back into the tag scene. I don't think this was something that that needed to be announced a week ahead of time. No, 
Of course not. That was the that was the final answer, which is what Brian what Dave hit after. After they had like a half hour long argument, Dave was like, "Oh yeah, and also this is not a a, a rating straw match." It was like, "Yeah, that was the point from the beginning. That was the point. Like this, but I loved this booking. I loved this booking, and I said it uh, as I was talking about the the pay per view match is because this booking shows that, like I said. Adam Page shows that he's at the pinnacle of the heavy hitters, the top of the card matches. He can wrestle someone like Lance Archer, who's the biggest motherfucker in the company, and have a badass match with him. He can wrestle someone like Brian Danielson and have a badass match with him when it comes to like technical wrestling. He can wrestle Kenny Omega and win the title in like the high octane. He can wrestle Adam Cole and have like, you know, and then he can also wrestle the young guns the young shooters who are bubbling up on the underneath of the cards in someone like dante martin and he can also keep up with him in the same way and that's why i thought like this is a great match even if it is like a throwaway all we need to do is like explain why dante martin is the number two ranked singles champion or singles wrestler even though he's going back to the tag team division we like have to give him his shot to 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 reset the the rankings, which I think is a solid booking decision, because you're like, oh, we have to actually book around the rankings. We can't just, like, pretend like they don't exist. So let's give this guy a title shot. Let's prove that Adam Page is the fucking man. Like I said, he's the champion because he can wrestle up and down the card against everyone and be the fucking pinnacle of the company no matter who he's wrestling. And that's why I think phenomenal booking and really shows, like Brian said that Tony Khan takes this shit way too seriously because when he books this shit, it makes sense to me and I take this shit way too seriously. This is, I think that this instance here is like Dante and what he did was in the time in which his brother was gone was remarkable. Like he really was able to plant the flag and make a name for himself here. But we forget that Dante is twenty years old, and that like when he got, when he went out there and had that singles match versus MJF on the main event of Dynamite, it didn't look great. You know, like we can be in love with what the prospects of Dante Martin are, and that what he could be potentially. But long run, yes, this is gonna do much, much more for Dante uh, to be to go back to the tag team. Now that people know who Dante is, now that people fuck with Dante, like. It'll be like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to go watch more top flight matches now that we know who Dante Martin is. We know that Dante's cool. We'll, we'll watch more top flight matches. Like, ideally, that's what would happen. But, you know, Dante's still 20 years old. Like, let him go Let him go back down. This isn't a big match. Follow this up. Uh, tag team match with the, the, the Regal Twins, as I'm calling them. And that's a joke on the other tag team that was the Regal Twins. Um moxley and brian danielson going up against the work horseman and uh anthony henry anthony henry looks like a fucking a million bitcoins right here because he's definitely the kind of guy who's putting his money into bitcoin um <laughs> brian what did you think of this it was good as an old school evolve head uh great it was good to see the work horseman uh, it was a good squash match i thought it was i thought it was good I can't wait to. Uh, I like the promo, the Regal promo. I, I, we already talked about that, but I liked it. <laughs> so yeah. that I think the whole segment ended up being really good. Yeah, with the, with the match and the promo, this was great. Quentin, did you see all this? Because this was a lot. 
No, I didn't do that. I didn't. I didn't get to see this. Uh, but like I said, the the name the names here. Like I was really, I was really into it. But uh, you know, I haven't got, I haven't got a chance to. I'll watch it though. All right, give it a shot. Uh, Pack and Yuta, solid match. Nothing amazing. Brian, you have thoughts on this or? Nah, it was good. Yeah, I assume Quentin didn't see it. Um, no, no. The uh, the Jeff Hardy Andrade office angle with uh jeff hardy debuting i mean fine i guess this was not great but it was good it was easy to understand everything was smooth like yeah i don't know who saw brian you saw it quentin did you see this the the, the, the andrada angle yeah yeah, yeah that, actually this was um i wanted to touch on this but once you saw, talked about we were getting the dynamite i was uh i was, I was gonna wait but Jeff Hardy is, I'm not saying he's an Observer Hall of Fame guy, okay. but the more I see him and the more I see how people react to him to this day, it more and more I get swayed for a Jeff Hardy argument, honestly. Yeah. Because I know what Jeff Hardy means to like people around my age that watched wrestling as a kid, and the, those same people will tune in just to see Jeff Hardy, Jeff Hardy still, well, like, randomly Jeff Hardy would trend on Twitter because people would be like, why don't they do more with Jeff Hardy? Not n- Never mind the fact that Jeff Hardy hasn't been good in a long time and all this stuff, and he's up there in age, but people still see Jeff Hardy and they're like, oh, why isn't Jeff Hardy getting treated like this and this? Right. And I don't know, like, I don't know, like, just the more I see Jeff and, like, hope he's doing well, I hope he's okay, hope he takes care of himself and he's around people that'll look out for him and stuff like that, but... The more I see Jeff, I'm like, man, like, he's maybe one of the five most, maybe even four or three most recognizable names from the generation of which I grew up. Because we didn't grow up with The Rock and Stone Cold. We were we were that. We were the Triple H's and Kurt Angles and second run, second run Undertakers and John Cena's and shit like that. But, like, Jeff Hardy might be, like, the top three guy top five guy of that group yeah no i mean that's that's a a really good point for jeff hardy for that brian what do you think about jeff hardy's like a hall of fame like argument case what do you think i i mean yeah he had a singles run and i think as as far as like uh uh i just think he's one of the most over guys ever (laughs) Of all time. Like, everybody knows Jeff Hardy. He somehow got more over than his brother, even though he was in an act with his brother. And uh, I don't know. He's just like one of those legendary wrestling personalities that if I came up with the Hall of Fame, he would definitely be in there because he just has everything I like in a wrestler. Yeah. I mean, as a North Carolina guy, like, there's something about his vibe that's so fucking weird because, as you said, like, there is no reason why Jeff Hardy should be a bigger star than Matt. But, like, for some reason, you just think of, like, Matt Hardy as, like, just being Matt Hardy. Oh, it's Matt Hardy. He shows up. He do- he works hard. He's good. He had a good ECW title reign. He's had some good matches here and there. He's always doing interesting stuff, and he's just like, whatever. But Jeff is always, like, a big fucking star. It's crazy the way that that works, but it just happens, you know? Like, But, yeah, like, Jeff, Jeff is definitely a Hall of Fame level kind of act. Um, there's a, follow this up with a swerve 
Brian, what do you think about Swerve? Are you a, are you a Swerve fan? Are you a strange Shane Strickland guy? Are you into him? I got to see some matches. I haven't seen him since he was on the Indies before and okay. uh, wasn't a big fan of him then. Okay. But uh, I'm sure he's better now. And uh, I think he's really charismatic now in a way that I don't think I could see when he was originally on the Indies. And I thought his matches were kind of boring. But uh, I'm totally open okay. to I was, I was interested to things hear now. I was interested to to like what you would be uh what you would think of him because you know me and Quentin have been, have followed him for a long time and we've both talked quite a bit about what we think about him. I'm I think I'm very high on him. Quentin is like probably lower level high on him, but yeah, I'm like I'm excited to see what he's going to do here in AEW. Um I'm 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 higher on him as like if like he was like if this was like you know talking about like oh like wrestler a wrestler to take stock in. It's like I might not necessarily be like always love his work, but I look at him and look at like his charisma and his act. I was always like, oh yeah, he reminds me of like fucking like Offset or something. Like he seems right. like a guy that could just be a big star, He's no matter perfect. like no, no matter what. Like like even if I don't care about his wrestling. If that guy isn't a star, I feel like something went wrong. I feel yeah. like he's maybe the coolest wrestler ever. Because in his time, he's cool. That has mm-hmm. only happened a few other times. Kevin Nash yeah. was Scott really Hall. cool. Kevin Nash and, and uh, Scott Hall and uh, Conan were really cool in their time. But most of the time, wrestlers are either corny or 10 years behind. And Swerve just seems like a dude that... I mean, he's just a dude that would be now. He's yeah. not yeah, like the, being the, the, the look he came, and, the look he came out with, like on on Dynamite, mm-hmm. not on Dynamite, um, on um on um on Revolution with the fucking suit in the in the in the um the front. Oh well, around here we call them fronts, but people just call them golds or grills or yeah. whatever. But like coming up there with like the grills in his mouth with the suit, it was like wow, like just yeah. just fucking cool. Like that's just like some cool shit. And to see him come out there on the Indies, and he was coming out there in the in the cir- in the circle in the circular shades and the vest, and it's like oh wow, like this guy just like not in a corny way, not in a way in a, in a, in a way that comes off forced. He just feels like how cool a rapper would be. Like yep. you, like if you want to, if you went to a show that has Shane Strickland on it, you will feel like, oh, well, you will feel like a famous rapper just walked in the room. Absolutely, absolutely. He's just he is he is like next level cool. Just and which is such a rare thing in professional wrestling that I I think he's going to be. I mean, if Tony Khan gets behind him, which I think he will, he has uh, to. If he if he gets behind him. And and sends shoots him up the card. I just think like, the sky's the limit with him. This guy is a guy that could be champ yeah. for sure. And 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 like uh, I would I would position him that way, and I would put him in feuds with, you know, I would get him in maybe even get him in a faction and get him with the Young Bucks or something, or put him with Adam Cole, or uh, I I mean I would just put him with somebody like so far one of the most important people on the fucking car mjf put him with mjf even though he's with wardlow but there are plenty of people that he could feud with that would immediately uh uh, just like make him a person that people pay attention to and get him way over and i i fucking hope they do that yeah they fucking better like this will be the biggest indictment for tony because we we all especially me and quentin we really want to get behind tony and uh and and not think that like he's just gonna be vince mcmahon again when it comes to this kind of shit but like 
Swerve, I'm sorry, but if you... Quentin, I apologize for this, but like if, if Tony does not push Swerve, it kind of proves that he's just as racist as Vince. Like, it really proves that he's just, he's literally as racist as Vince is, where he just doesn't see that, like, a black man can be a star. Because this motherfucker no, is a star. This, this is the, no, like, I've, the, the rope I've always given Tony is I've always said that around the time AW start, started, certain black wrestlers just got signed and they decided to go with WWE instead. Like, the ACHs of the world, the Shane yeah. Strickland's of the world, we were around for Shane Strickland's free agency and stuff like that. We were around for Keith Lee. That certain black wrestlers who were stars just happened to sign with WWE. Right. That I, I was always like, okay, it feels like the comments about diversity or whatever when it comes to AW, like, are missing the fact that WWE just signed a lot of, like, the major black talent that was out there and, like, ready to be on TV. Right. So, if he does this now. Yeah. With Keith Lee and Shane Strickland on the roster, yeah, like that. Yeah. I got, I got no, I got no more like excuses to this give Tony or any more. Yeah. yeah, that 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 that's it. If this doesn't work out, I'm putting this all on his feet. Yeah, this is your fault because these guys are fucking stars. These guys are ready, but he proves it with the next match. Maybe that we'll talk about. We have some other shit to talk about. But we've got the Acclaim going up against Jungle Boy and Lucasaurus, and the Acclaim feel like. Like, I've talked about them. They were on my, my wrestlers of the year list, right? My top 50. The acclaim. this is Tony actually pushing a black tag team as a fucking big deal. Even if they lose in this match, the acclaimed have been brought to the pinnacle. They've gotten title shots. They continue to get pushed. They continue to be in this spot. Even if they lose, they're still, like, represented in this way. So, yeah, I don't know if either, uh, if Quentin watched this, Tony, or Brian, if you watched this, but uh, this match I thought was a really good showing to continue to, to say, like, Lucha's, Lucha Express, or whatever, it's Jurassic Express is, like, the champions, and the Acclaim continue to be a, uh, a force to reckon with in the tag team division. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I liked the Acclaim a lot, Acclaimed a lot, too. Uh, I kind of got excited. I bit on some of the near falls and was like, God, I hope they win. Yeah. But I get it. You can't change both two titles. You shouldn't change the title yet and everything. So what are you going to do? Yeah. But yeah, but but it does. It is that glimmering beacon of hope where it's like, this is the stupidest hope. But it is like we're dealing with like comparing this to WWE and Vince McMahon is the idea that you can have like a jobber to the stars tag team of black wrestlers who continuously get pushed you know and that's like the level of like i don't trust wwe to do this you know like quentin did you see this match at all no i didn't see it but it's like going with the going along with, with going along with your point though it's like yeah the acclaimed aren't like winning the belts or whatever but you look at them and they're a per, they're a perfect mid card act. Yeah, I mean, go out there and they can beat the teams that are work, that, that are lesser than them and not pushed, and they can go out there and have competitive matches with the teams that are pushed. Like that's how a good mid carder is supposed to be used, and like they've used the acclaim for that role like really well. Yeah, and they push them like they're serious. You know, they they matter and they are serious, and that's something that you don't necessarily get from the WWE Vince McMahon booking, like for a, a tag team of color like they're either like fucking jobbers or they're like token champions and that's it they can't like just be normal wrestlers and that's why like the acclaims is a really good barometer to see like vince or to see tony actually push people where they deserve to be um either way 
uh, AEW Women's Championship Eliminator Challenge, whatever. Thunder Rosa versus Layla Hirsch. Uh, building up to Thunder Rosa probably winning the title in Texas. Do we think this is happening? Quentin, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they wouldn't they run a rematch without Thunder Rosa winning, and Britt's had the belt for a while. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what do you I can see a thing where, like, Thunder Rosa wins it and then Britt wins it right back, actually, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what do you think of uh, of the match and the Thunder Rosa winning the title? It was pretty good. I think she's going to win it next week. It's the only reason you wait till she's in her hometown and put it in a cage. Uh, you know, that was just kind of oddly paced feud, I think. That uh, uh, it ended up on the pay-per-view without a stipulation. So, yeah, I think she's going to win next week. I think it'll be a pretty good cage match, too, hopefully. It'll be good. I just, like, you know, like, I think that um, on Revolution, like, there was already going to be blood. And I guess two different matches, I don't know. Like, it looks it looks like a blade job that Moxley did. So, like, two matches with blood. So, they want to overdo it. Like, the old WCW problem. So, Britt versus Thunderosa, I gotta imagine, gonna be a big match, main event. Probably get some uh, blood from Britt, since uh, that's what they need to have a good match. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, that'll, that'll deliver. Main event, Quentin, did you watch the main event? Did not. Did not, alright. Scorpio Sky versus Sammy Guevara. We talked about a little bit about this and, and what the bigger implications are when it comes to um, Sammy losing the title here against scorpio sky um the match itself i felt was a bit overwrought with the drama um especially with like the sammy selling the 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 rib injury and the in between the breaks and ty conti coming out and all that stuff it's this is over the top brian am i off base to say this like felt a bit over the top here <laughs> my wife saw that big spot through the table and she goes uh she goes, uh, oh, I, you know, it goes into picture in picture. She's like, I think he's hurt. I think, I think he's for real hurt. And I was like, man, he does. He is now taken to doing this every single match, which makes it less powerful. It's kind of like that. You know what it reminds me of is that uh, uh, evil spot where he puts the chair around your neck and then slaps the slaps it with another chair, how he fits it into every single fucking match that he has. So it becomes such a contrived thing that like he, Sammy has just started to come out like, like DDP with his ribs taped and then have the doctor come out and say, you shouldn't wrestle anymore. And then he's like, oh, I got to wrestle. And then he goes back into the ring and, that is like really cool to do every now and then. Yeah. But you can't do it every single match. But yeah. I like the angle at the end. I don't know. I always excited to watch a non wrestler wrestle. So the Paige Van Zandt stuff really made me excited. And I mean, why not put the title on Scorpio Sky? He's been there forever. Uh, if I liked SCU, I would be a lot more excited about it. But. I, I don't think it was bad to put that title on Scorpio Sky. You know, I'm sure he'll okay, have some Brian, good matches. You've he, uh, well, he'll have at least one good match next week against Wardlow. Uh, do you? You don't think? I think he's winning. You think he's going to beat Wardlow? Okay. 
No, I don't uh, think he's going to beat Wardlow like okay. one, two, three in the middle gotcha. of the ring. But well, he's yeah, Wardlow is going to get fucked over. If you yeah, like. he's a heel, and MJF is going to come in. All right, and you know, part of me even thinks that like MJF could be maybe th- teaming up with American Top Team or something because the Pinnacle sort of seems like it dissolved too right, right. last night. So. I don't know. I I think MJF is going to fuck Wardlow out of the title. It's smart because neither one of them need the title for that feud. People are going to be hot for that feud no matter what. And Scorpio Sky, I think if he keeps the belt for a while, has some good matches, I think he could finally like be as over as... I think they have wanted Scorpio Sky to get over for the whole time. And I know they haven't put him on TV much or whatever, but I think he was sort of earmarked as a guy that they really wanted to get over and uh, keep the title on for a while. If he can have a few good matches, then I'd say like you got him over at that point. I think he'd be over. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a PWG original kind of person. Um, He's definitely a guy that they've, they've worked with. Like you said, he had the Jericho title match, and that felt like that was part of like teasing that this guy could be a champion. Um, he finally here has a championship, and they even called it out when they said that like he's the first kind of dual crown champion. He's the first person in TNA who's ever held two championships. He's well, I guess Adam Page would be the first uh, dual crown champion, but he's the first person to hold the tag team titles and the TNA title. Adam Page is the first person to hold the tag team titles and the world heavyweight championship. But that's like pretty rarefied air when you're talking about like Adam Page, Scorpio Sky, Kenny Omega as the only people who have hold two, two different championships in the company. Right. So, I mean, fuck. As I say that, that sounds crazy to think about. And nobody else. I mean, nobody was hurt by this match either because now Sammy... And Ty go into a mixed tag right. with uh, um, with probably Page. you know uh, Scorpio and Page or something like that. So they have a big match, a, a big featured match, and Scorpio Sky has a title. I think it was really smart. Yeah, uh, I think it was a really smart move. It was really good booking. That that kind of stuff is like that's why I think Tony Khan's a really good booker. <laughs> Well, and I think that Sammy's really smart in a lot of ways. And, you know, I've been a big fan of Sammy's for a very long time. I've talked about this repeatedly, you know, with me and and Pete talking about, like, Texas indie wrestling from, like, back in, like, the 2010s. Quentin remembers us talking about Sammy from way back in the day. And Sammy is just so very smart when it comes to this stuff because it was, like, when it came to, um, when it came to, like, you know, oh, what do you do when the camera's like on you, but it's in the, the dual screen? They can't hear your audio. Sammy came up with like doing the cue cards, right? Which is like, no, no, it's it's old Lodi stuff from WCW. But either way, it was like, oh, hey, you do the cue cards. And then also the, the selling here, the way that he did the, the rib selling, as you talked about, Brian, that he does repeatedly, when he was doing like the big, like in the middle of the match angle during the picture in picture, like that's. That's just showing like Sammy being very smart when it comes to like working even the picture of picture stuff. This guy is like a Sammy is a very smart worker. Like I I don't love Sammy Guevara. I don't think that he's and Quentin knows this. Like 
a Sammy Guevara match was like something that legitimately turned me off from live wrestling to the point where like I didn't go to live shows for a while. So I it, it's hard for me to say like I love him so much and all this, but like I think he's a really smart worker and uh, he comes up with stuff that's unique and maybe I don't love all of it personally, but I definitely see how it how it works in the moment. And uh, he's he's a very smart worker, and I will continue to say that forever. Like this guy, really gets that stuff when it comes to like thinking about things and 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 making stuff like be bigger than it than it could be on its own. Um, either way, finishing this out, I guess I guess we should leave. I guess we sh- we should be done um, with recording. It feels like I felt like we were gonna record for the rest of our lives, but it's ending now. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Oh yes, uh, Quentin. No, thank you for doing this. I'm, I'm not sure like how long your shows usually go, but like, sorry for putting you through nearly uh, three hours of wrestling talk. <laughs> um, you know, I I did a three hour show every week for like four years, so uh, I'm used to it. Okay. All right. All right. Used to the marathon recordings, but anything else? Um, well, actually, like, no. I mean. Brian's the big star over here, so if you yeah. if you feel the need to plug your Twitter with your, yeah. let him know. <laughs> just murder feel, X. Feel free. Just murder X Brian, and you can find everything I do on Twitter. Yeah. So just find me there, and uh, I don't know. I post about wrestling maybe twenty five percent. So if you're a wrestling person, then I don't know how much you'll yeah, love my yeah, account. My, if you enjoy, if you enjoy uh, funny funny tweets. And uh, I guess we talked about prison abolition earlier, yes. so maybe some retweets and tweets and tweets related to that. And probably a good follow for you. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, before we before you go, I have to. I have to do this. I'm sorry. I have to petition you for this. I know that it doesn't fit shock jocks, and that's kind of the thing for Shocktober. But I, being a Southern California fan. And being someone who's been into talk radio forever, you know that my, like, hero, my all-time legend, Phil Hendry, if you could do a Phil Hendry something, I know it doesn't quite fit Shock Jock, Shocktober, (laughs) but, and, and you even talked about him in the past, you mentioned, like, making it work, but anything to do a Phil Hendry show, because I love talk radio, that's why I'm into podcasts, I've been a long time talk radio fan but a phil hendry episode of something even if you did it as like a special yeah. one-off because he's, he's influential enough he's a legend. yeah he's influential enough yeah. to figure something out yeah, yeah i just you know i the shock jock shocktober is a very specific yeah. kind of as i always when people you know kind of petition me to put people on there i'm like it's just it's a really specific i know type of thing that exists and and it's hard to uh, i can't explain to people what it is but <laughs> i i just it's like porno i just know yeah. it is it when i hear it yeah and i know that phil hendry is not a shock jock i 100 percent agree with that but it's like it's like just like i would love you to do like a coast to coast am thing like an art bell thing but i wouldn't even push it but like when you talk about legendary voices in the history of of radio you got to talk about Fahendry at some point, you know, but either way, I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out. I would love it, man. Like he's an all time. You're an all time legend to me when it comes to talk radio. Phil Hendry is also an all time legend when it comes to talk radio. But 
Thank you for joining us. Quentin, I don't know if you have anything you want to post. Or not post, but anything you want to plug, all that stuff. But let's close it out. Uh, no, I think we're good. I think we're ready. I think we're ready to go here. Just follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody, and you can follow Timothy at Bone Dog's Wife uh, on tw- on Twitter. And that's it for us here. Thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time. Let's do my the pattern for me, murderous filigree. I'm caught in the twisting of the vine.